Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things film to the full effect. My name is Ed. Across from me is my Senate Matt life mate and assimilated co-host Sean. Good morning, Film Effect. And with us this week are a couple of very special guests. First, returning to the show for a third time is my kid brother and fan of the show, he rocks the shit out of Fedora like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Kids and Heroes, this Mr. Is, Andrew Snyder. This is more like a golfer's hat that you would see on the... Uh, Page Boy's hat. Not a Fedora. Yeah, something like okay. that. Well, usually, Either way. Usually you got a Fedora. Either way. Yeah, I'm a man can, of many hats. The kid like, can pull off a, a cap. <laughs> and also, he's a first-timer here on the program. I've known this special guest longer than a third of our audience has even been alive. He's the slap master of the bass himself. Please welcome Mr. Ian Paxton. Hello, hello. All right. So here's the skinny. If you happen to be a fellow cinephile like us or just a casual fan of film in general, then you come to the right place. We're a weekly podcast that do deep dives and touch lives of each and every single episode, focusing on a particular film each week in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before we started turning on each other, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms direct link in the episode notes. Speaking of platforms, you can help the show tremendously by using Apple Podcasts or wherever possible to leave a five-star rating and review. It helps us with that stinking algorithm and it recommends us to more listeners as we continue to grow as a show overall. So for those who want to check us out on either Facebook or Instagram, you can do so by using what handle? Wait. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> this is your show. <laughs> Fucking up my own... Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so Facebook and Instagram, Sean, with, what's them handles? Uh, it's going to be the Film Effect Podcast. Same goes for Twitter. What's that handle? Uh, at Film Effect Pod, if you want to shoot us over to For those current day email supporters, you can continue to send those emails to the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So, from the time this episode drops, we are 47 days away until Halloween. Chime in anytime, fellas. I like jack-o'-lanterns. This is the part of the show where we take a few minutes to just shoot the shit and then get ready for the actual format. If you've listened to the but episodes. how many days away is it until Halloween kills, though? Let's see, take away 16 from that. There you what go. Did I say 47, so 31 go, days. 31 days. Yeah, 31 hey, days. Mathematics for the win. Yeah. The only days that are worth anything are the ones I get off work for. Yeah, well, I'm already Federal. off. Federal! I'm already <laughs> off, so... <laughs> Um, so speaking of which, what's everyone being for Halloween this year? Andrew, who are you being for Halloween? I don't know. I'll probably just rock one of my uh, bodacious hats. One of your fedoras? Me, yeah. Fedora man? Then, You'd be like the, the loving meme. <laughs> like the fedora guy. Um, actually, I shouldn't talk at all about that guy. I think he's like in a coma for COVID right now. What so, the fuck? Yeah. I mean, okay. Unless that was a, I don't know. Sean, who are you being for Halloween? Hey! Let me guess. Harry Ward. Nah, man. No, you I, should. I, I, here's I don't what know what happened to my pickaxe. I, can't, I still got the gas mask. But you should be Steve-O from SLC Punk. I can help you with the blue hair. I know you could. Me and Lillard don't resemble each other as much as we used to. At least I don't see it. Like I did back in my 20s when that when everybody was saying that shit about me. 
I think this year I'm just going to dress up as a grumpy old drunk Irishman. Yeah, so every day showing. Okay. Yeah, I'm just hey. going to go out and <laughs> hey, showing. I'm showing on Halloween. I don't know. I mean, if I had my druthers, honestly, I've had my eye on this Doctor Strange cosplay. You know, with shipping. I you know, was thinking about something to go for. Me. You got the ring? That's, I, I got the necklace. I got the sling ring. I let the hair grow out. I got the look. You know what I mean? I got the resemblance. Pretty sure he cut his hair down for the movie. Mm, I don't, not this short, but I yeah. mean, either way, yeah. I was going to be. Uh, you've got that's that. You've all, got all that. Had my brothers, got that I'd be the Sorcerer Supreme, but. Um, nah, man, I don't, I don't think I'm dressing up this year. I think I'm just going to be a grumpy, drunk guy just giving out candy and the course I get off my lawn. Well, shit, judge it by the new trailer. You can just throw on a pair of sweatpants. And I'll be right. I'll be I'll be far from, that's it. There we go, because I've already got the eye of Agamotto and the sling ring. I got a shitty parka. Um, I just need, I need a cheap cloak of levitation I picked up at a Halloween adventure. Now That's what got, I'll do. Good job. Now all you got. I don't do even got to get dressed. I can wear my everyday pajamas. And see, that's what I do every year. I find something in my closet, like that you can make it work. Yeah, yeah like I was like a, one year. Uh, I, was a, I was a zombie from from Thriller just because I just beat up some old clothes. In the yard. Yeah. One year, I just throw in a button down and some uh, uh, um, aviator shades and went as uh, what's his name, Jones Jonestown. Uh, Indiana Jones? No, 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 Jonestown. <laughs> Jonestown. Oh, J- oh, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, yes. Nice, Jim Jones. Jim Jones. Yeah, just that's heavy duty, man. Dude, I was gonna say that's Kool Aid. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> Might do that again, dude. That is great. That is such a sick, twisted, glorious. So that's your final answer. Yeah, that's my final answer. Hell Jim yeah, Jones. Man. I'm right there with you. Look, I've been saying the same thing for the last decade. I'm trying to be. One of these days, I'm going to do it. Madeline's going to be Hit Girl. I'm going to be Big Daddy. We're doing that. that. So you're going to be Batman? No. Kick-ass. I know. Nick, Nick, yeah. I'm you're going to be Batman. I'm going to be Batman. <laughs> like, I'm going to be Batman. I don't need to correct myself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. You can get voted up and have someone hit you in the face a few times and go as Carrot Top. Yeah, well, yeah. Just don't turn into fire, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got the hair grown out for the first time around this time of year, so I can finally, like, dye dark and be a true Eric Draven. Eric Craven, sorry. I got the, the Crow and Crow Seed Angels mixed up because our names are similar. So, sorry. We're all back on the Crow. We just We're talking about the Crow again, exactly. It's always, it always <laughs> comes back around. We just talked about the Crow. I mean, with Halloween coming up, it makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah. but we're talking Alex Croy, so I'm going to think in the Dark City first. Sorry. All right, well, speaking of Halloween, um, One of my I, I want to, yeah, the feeling's mutual. Um, I'm planning, like, this... I keep on talking about like a watch along. I think this is the third time in a row I've mentioned doing a watch along for the show. Um, I think I've got it down pat. Uh, the weekend of Halloween, like that Saturday, the 30th, uh, a few films lined up with a potential special guest. More details to come. It's still a ways away, but um, early programming. It's in the cards. It's in the works. I mean, and, uh, is it yeah. Spielberg? Yeah, it's Spielberg. Definitely Spielberg. <laughs> Damn it, you spoiled it. You got um, Steven coming by? I'm sorry. Speaking of, since I'm announcing stuff right now, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, we've got that Planet of the Apes collection going on right now, the giveaway. Uh, that's going to be coming up in Twitter. Uh, I think it's about a week away from closing. Um, so, yeah, get those followers in, guys. Uh, the next one we're going to be doing, I have a, a um, 4K digital Predator collection uh, code up for grabs for... Um, I'm thinking this time reviews. Utilize the reviews this time, and you know, if you leave a review, 
then you know, you're entered and we'll do, you know, I'll, I'll do a live thing like I'm going to be doing for Planet of the Apes and we'll draw a winner. So yeah, that's that. And uh, yeah, also, Colin, get on that so you can finally see the Predator, you goddamn schlup. Oh, that's right. He's never seen Predator. <laughs> Jesus, people haven't seen the Predator. His best friend. I saw it in the theater. Man. Um, and I'm also I'm on a roll right now. I'm going to be hyping the Halloween Harathon coming up next month on the show. Here, it's going to be two episodes a week. Monster Madness, Monster Mondays, and Fright Fridays is what we're going to be calling it. It's going to be two horror films per week, um, starting with the first on the first with uh, Halloween 2018, and we'll we'll be joined by Corey, a childhood friend of mine, for that episode. And he's also going to be joining us for the last episode of the Harathon, which is going to be Pumpkinhead. So, hmm. other than that, looking forward to the Halloween season. That's all. I'm definitely trying to be on that. Yeah, my uh, my birthday movie falls in there. So. Suspiria. Yeah, we're gonna get under your skin. What is his name? Argentina. Argento. Argento. Yeah, See, man, I'm close. covering. That's believe it or Argentina. not. Argentina. Whatever. <laughs> Everybody would ex- everybody would expect me to cover the Dario Argento original. Ah, uh-huh, baby, I am focusing on the Guadagnino remake that snatched me by the boo-boos a couple years ago and spun my head around because I was against it and it changed my tune and got under my skin. And I'm talking deep on that. And that's my birthday episode right before Halloween. So you're covering the remake, not the original. Well, it's like the original is going to get brought up, definitely. Because you know, Ed will tell you, Justin will tell you. Ian just met me, but I'm sure he could tell I'm a fan of Jawa. I was a huge Suspiria fan, you know, coming out of Argentoism. You know, followed opera, followed a lot of his works, man. But then, yeah, so I'm going to be, you know, we're going to be digging deep in Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria for my birthday. Just, uh, all right. your big boy pants. It's going to get scary. I'm just surprised that you're covering the remake and not the original, which is totally fine. Let's do some shout outs. Shout out to his family. All right, best film ever. For charting at number 46 this week in the U.S. Top 200 in iTunes. Super happy for them when I saw that. No, still am. That's still pretty damn cool. Did you see? Th- I tell you about that? No. 46. 46? 46. 46. Top 200. Nice. 46. Nice. That's nice. insane. Nice. That's that's awesome. Nice. Way uh, to go. So congrats, man. Ian, Liam, Ellie, and Georgia, and uh, sometimes Ethan. So you guys have earned it. Um... Josh, at your next favorite movie for uh, joining us for our H2 episode, which should have dropped by the time this episode drops. Um, that was a fun time. Yeah, it was good. That was good. Uh, was we, good. we were up late, but it was worth it. Um, yeah, yeah if, if it hasn't dropped yet, look out for it. Uh, just thanks again and you know, listen to his show, your, your next favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Halloweenies, who finally dropped their – Scream 3 episode in two parts. They spent four and a half hours talking about, talking about Scream 3. Jesus. Remember Scream 3? We saw it in the theater. I, yeah. Remember yeah, that? We sure did. Yeah. Oh, man. You imagine yeah, talking about that going for four and a half? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. I can remember the trailer to that film constantly playing on television. Welcome to the final act. Scream 3. Don't panic. This film is not yet rated. Uh, the Thing with Two Heads, a uh, show that I haven't mentioned recently, but I've mentioned before, um, hosted by Sean Clark and FX makeup artist uh, Christopher A. Nelson. They spawned off into audio format 
So, you know, if you've got Spotify, if you're listening to us on iTunes or, or Google or, or Prime, you know, wherever you're listening to us on iHeartRadio, I don't give a damn. Go check out uh, the Thing with Two Heads podcast. It's a good show. Um, and yeah, it's a fun time. It's like listening to us. It's, it's like hanging out for a couple hours with the hosts. So. Uh, shout out to friend of the film effect, Carlo. Shout out to Saturday Night Freak Show. And finally, shout out to the effing nerds. Currently charting with our homies over in Thailand. And no new regions this week, but I'm sure there will be some coming up ahead. Because, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what we've done differently. But I've noticed the numbers. Um, I've seen you guys. I've taken notice. There are definitely a lot of ears being parked up towards the show, and I couldn't be happier. So, thanks to all those, whether you're a new listener or a, a, a recurring listener. Um, just giving that word of mouth, man. Either way, just, you know, yeah. muchas gracias to you guys. Yeah. Real. All right, so current events. So yesterday I was going through, you know, notes and stuff, see what we could bring up for this episode and this topic. Um, when I came across, I'm sorry to get all dark on this episode, but uh, did you hear about Stanley Tucci? Yeah, he's had cancer for a couple of years, eh? Yeah, a yeah. few years now, three yeah. years. He's been privately battling. Um, is it prostate? Is that what I read? Mm. Is that what I read? I got it up. That's what got Chadwick Boseman, wasn't it? I don't know. Tongue. Tongue. Yeah, tongue. Tumor on his tongue. Base of his oh, tongue. Okay. Tongue cancer. Oh, okay. God. Damn. That Did can't be ever... operated on. He has to do chemo and radiation. Wow. He has to. He cannot be operated on. Inoperable. Um, but he's still doing it. Um, I guess he's now, you know, it's been three years, he's comfortable enough to you know talk about it. So mm-hmm. I guess that's, uh, that's, a, that's a step towards progress. That, that is progress, if you ask me. Yeah. Boseman had colon. Cancer. Cold. It was cold. Yeah, it was cold cancer. cancer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Which he never revealed until it was too late, which is crazy to me, by the way. Well, not that he revealed until it was too late. It was. Just, I was going to say he was. You know, he did it respectfully. I, no, that's what I'm saying. Like he oh, never talked about it until, until we found was, out the hard way. Right. Yeah. It, was, it was you know beyond. And he revealed this to Vera magazine. Never even heard of this publication before. Um, probably yeah. overseas. Yeah, and um, so I guess he's. Hey, man, he's you know, I, comfortable I'm a, talking about it. Like, I'm of the opinion to get you know the, the guys are a highly respected individual in his field. He had a life changing diagnosis three years ago, and he may live a portion of his life in the public eye. But when he reveals that private information to the public, that's his. That's his damn choice. Yeah, what venue he goes yeah. through? Eh, yep. True. Whether he tweets it, or writes a you know, you know, letter to the Washington Post. Oh, believe, don't take it the wrong way. I didn't mean any insult. Yeah, at yeah. By, just by, saying. By that comment, I'm actually hats off, like, hey, man. It's hard to talk about way. situations like that. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, so many people you know, looking up to you and such. Here's to a speedy recovery. We're huge fans of yours over here at the Film Effect, and um, yeah. Not not to switch off into a dark turn here, but let's think about like how cool would it be if like Jeff Bridges and Stanley Tucci were both like in the same chemo ward, like scheduled every every Tuesday and Thursday. Just sitting there, just sitting there, bark aloud, just 
talk about the good old day. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, yeah, be, I got you. It's that could be like the new the, the new AMC documentary where they were. Remember when Hugh McGregor <laughs> bought the motorcycle with Charlie Borman's son and rode up and down New Zealand and shit? <laughs> like do do one of those, but it's just you know two team and bridges. You know, I totally forgot about Bridges, too. Shit. Yeah. I'm not, like I said, by no means am I making fun of anybody. I'm saying that oh, would be a neat ride. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. You know, those guys would have fun with it. Oh, sure. You know, that would be that would be pretty cool. Well, maybe they'll start feeling better if we give them some weekly recommends. For real. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? All right. So this week, I'm recommending a film that's now on YouTube that I watched the other night. Haven't seen it in years. Bedazzled from Hell and Rain the remake. Mm. Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, yeah. Fraser's all early. early yeah. Fraser's up. I'll that movie down. is so damn he has, funny. He, I saw it in a theater. Was that 2001? 2000. 2000. Yeah. Yeah. That movie. He has such a broad spectrum of acting in that film, too. Like movie's so damn funny. The deleted scenes on the DVD are just as funny, especially the whole entire deleted rock concert scene that obviously was cut for rating purposes because it's just them doing the lines of fucking coke and <laughs> drinking, like, just nonstop, but Bob chasing it with bottles of whiskey and shit. And oh, there, you saw the original with Dudley Moore, didn't you? I never seen the original Okay, before. yeah, that was, no. that was funny. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, Bedazzled was one of my... Guilty pleasures of uh, of the early aughts too. It's a really funny movie. It's still funny. Like my one of my favorite bits is when he realizes he's in a telenovela. He's like, I don't know, I'm Lord Espanol. The Colombian drug, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Like the Colombian drug lord. Yeah, like, that's the very Espanol. first one. Yeah, un momento, hablo español. Like he realizes he's like, he speaks Spanish, and his wife's like sleeping around with Raúl, the, the the guy who's teaching her, giving her lesson English lessons. That's right, and he like rips his mustache off. His the rest mustache. of the thing, he's got like this gnarly, yeah. So yeah, bedazzled. Check it out. It's on YouTube for free this month. So uh, probably next month too. Check it out. Um, whoever wants to go next, I don't think I told you. You have a recommend for this week? I listened to the show, so my <laughs> man, my man, came prepared. My man, this one's from 2010. It's kind of hard to find. It's a movie called Bunraku. Um, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I'm trying to put a name. Uh, it uh, has, for as unknown as it is, it has this name. Josh Hartnett, Kevin McKidd, Woody Harrelson, Ron Perlman, Demi Moore, Mike Patton from Faith No More mm. narrates, Ooh. and um, a Japanese musician named Gak, Gakt also stars in it. It's a uh, post-apocalyptic sort of samurai western. I remember the um, marketing for that thing, man. It just yeah. kind of came and went. The, the, yeah. uh, the cinematography is gorgeous. The stage setups looks like uh, all the backdrops are made out of origami. Right, right. And yeah, that's yeah, this is a really is cool movie. Where, where can we where can I find it? Is it streaming or is it? I had like four to box order home. it from in FYE <laughs> to get it on a uh, Blu-ray. Right. And, uh, I, I watched it years yeah, ago you on have Netflix. To, you can only run it on YouTube right now. Can you? Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, that or Google Play. Now that you mention it, I remember some, some trailers for that and yeah, it's, it's, it came and went in my mind. It's more wow, of an artsy flick, right? Um, Ain't nothing wrong with that, but uh, it's it's fun. It's a hell of a ride. Um, I understand why there are people who did not like it. Um, 
I love the hell out of it, and right. I don't think it gets uh, enough props. So that's well, mine. Hopefully, people listening will you know give it its fair you know day in court. So I know I will. Thanks. Next. Um, I actually, you know me, I like I like digging deep into the prime out of rhythm. No. Yeah. <laughs> So I went back to 1983 and found a little guilty pleasure mod from when I was a kid. Are you um, taking us to Golden Ring Mall? I didn't see it in the theater, no. I saw it on HBO. Um, it was a film directed by Michael Ritchie right before he went in to do Fletch, um, starring Walter Matthau and Robin Williams. It's called The Survivors. And it's the two of these two. Yeah. You yeah. Remember this film? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Walter Matthau and Robin Williams. He's playing on Cinemax a lot. It's when probably, I was a kid. Yeah. probably. Yeah. So like I, I watched that the other day and, and you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a sucker for Jerry Reed. Yeah. And Jerry Reed is like your, your lovable hitman villain who's just after these two hapless unemployed schlubs who foiled his robbery. And the, the film really kicks into Michael Ritchie, like funny mode in that third act. Like it plays a little dark in the beginning and there's some jokes that, you know, either fall flat or don't do what you want because you're expecting like a more zany Robin Williams, but right. it's still there. Um, and he's playing off of, you know, math house straight man, if you will. Um, but yeah, once they get up, to, up to the survival camp in act three, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, man. So yeah. It was Michael Ritchie's The Survivors starring Walter Matthau, Robin Williams, and Jerry Green. Last but certainly not least, Andrew. My recommendation is Gravity, which is the start of the three-peat. That it, is it Emmanuel Lebeski? Lebeski, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I called that shit earlier, remember? Yes. You and I were texting about mm-hmm. that. I called that. Yeah. So, I mean, Gravity, you know, Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, Ed Harris, right? Ed Harris? Yes. Yeah, it's Ed Harris. Um, Who the hell is Ed Harris? One of the planets? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just two people in space. Is he the voice of like Command Center or something? Yeah. I've never seen Gravity, so really, oh, dude, it's very good. Well, there it's, you go. I remember that was uh, that was actually one of Mandy and I's um, first dates. I mean, I mean, we were a couple, but it was you know one of our first movie dates, and so we went and saw it in the theater. And I remember, like, towards the end of it, I was just so overwhelmed with the experience because of the way that they filmed it, you know, and it was presented in the three. It was, like, filmed for 3D at the time and the sound. And, like, I felt like this is where we finally come with, with films was, like, cinema has, has reached that next level. Like, it actually moved well, there's a particular reason why he went on that 3 at the Academy Awards, no doubt. Between that, Birdman, and Revenant, I mean... Yeah. Emmanuel did fucking good. I <laughs> did you really you know, good. I should text about that. Like when he was getting nominated yeah. the second time, I'm like, Correct. I think you might be on to something. I'm like, wait till next year. Because you called before we even <laughs> saw The Revenant. You were like, I'm pretty sure he's going to fucking take <laughs> right. that home. Like, right. Jesus Christ. I was right. Yeah, I was right. The Revenant is so good. Yeah. But I yeah, just, if you've never <clears throat> seen Gravity, my God, two plus hours of anxiety, but it's well worth the attack. But <laughs> like the, the initial 3D experience of it when it was presented right was really cool if you could ever get that. And that's why I said I'm not going to see this movie. If I, made, I missed out on the theatrical experience you know, in 3D. I, I never saw this I mean, I, I had it when I had... That's the only reason I wanted to see it, to be honest no, with you. You want to see it because of the thrill. Well, it's it's still fun. Don't get me wrong. I have the Blu-ray. I had the 3D Blu-ray from when you have one of those 3D TVs. and It worked almost as good. But being in the theater, I was. I was shaking like on my knees. Like, oh my God, this is an incredible experience. Oh, no, I felt like I borderline... Too, so. See? Oh, I don't feel so bad now. 
I felt like borderline sick by the end of it, but it was mm-hmm. a good sick. Very good sick. Yeah. So I'll enjoy it. Yeah. Is it good sick? Oh, yeah. What was it? One of those, sick? oh my God, I can't believe what I just watched. <laughs> Describe a bad sick. Throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Fever. Yeah, yeah, cabin fever. Sick. Yeah, cabin fever is fucking. <laughs> that shit is flesh wrong. eating virus. Oh, when that broad shaves her legs and it just all comes yeah. up. It's really funny I don't that he says that, that in scene. particular because it when I saw cabin looks fever, me up every time. I don't want to think about that. Scene. Uh, I I mean, it's funny that he I'm says good. cabin fever because when good. I saw cabin fever, I felt like nauseous at the end of it. I was like, oh my god, like, dude, what the like, hell did I just watch? I know Roth. Yeah, Roth was one to watch back then, man. He just kind of went for the grew. He's like, this is the shit that I loved. Look at this crew. Yeah. <laughs> I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. But when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. This is John Carpenter's The Thing. Itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! Based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There? John Carpenter's The Thing tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the eponymous thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. Uh, The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any one of them could be the thing. Hi guys, so first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to... Um, you might as well just lump this in with 
the many blockbuster first timers when I started working there about 20 years ago. This was definitely one of them. Singers for this, you know, similar stories with Shawshank and Goodfellas and whatnot. So, yeah, definitely one about 20 years ago when I started working at Blockbuster and having a field day. So, this, this thing has been so ingrained in my fucking cin- cinematic DNA for so long at 40. Six years old, which surprises me because I never really talked about this with you that much. It's, yeah, I mean, but it's it's one that's always there for me. You know what I mean? It's not one that we need because it, it's something that I I just assume is part of everybody. Like you know, Jaws of Star Wars. Yeah, you know. I mean, I guess and I understand we don't, that because I don't. And I both have mutual love and appreciation because, and this is uh, this is us talking about it now. You know what I mean? We never sat down and gushed over it. But I mean, I would have to say either renting a renting it on VHS or, or more than likely seeing it on cable when I was probably nine or ten years old. You know, it's funny it's too. Been this, how long it's been? It's been in my life thirty five years. This is a film that I don't have any memories of. You know, watching on television. I guess mm-hmm. either I missed out every time it was on, mm-hmm. or it just was to, never on. We used to watch sci fi. Religiously, too. I'm surprised I never saw it on television. The thing wasn't a film that was ever on. Yeah, they would. They would be just have to cut most of the, it. The gore, exactly. Yeah, yeah it'd be like the unedited yeah. version of Scarface, right? So, you know, or the so instead, I got Tremors and Tremors Two on like repeat. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Put it on TNT, and that line uh, will be. Uh, I don't want to spend the rest of this winter on this chicken fried couch. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, how about you, Ian? Uh, I don't know if you remember, but. Um, my dad ha- used to have like a massive, like twelve foot diameter satellite dish mounted to his fucking roof. No, and <laughs> no, I was always at your mom's, never your dad's. Your dad would always pick you up from my grandparents' house. Dundalk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, he he had this huge satellite dish, and uh, I swear we got channels from fucking Mars. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which may have been the broadcast where I first saw this movie when I was uh, about eight years old, and it's the right time to see this for the first time. Yeah, I was I was about the same age, but I was probably HBO. It scared the living shit out of me. I'm sure. Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah, so it was probably 1990. Uh, This, um, yeah, and I did not sleep for. A week, and I probably didn't watch it again for fifteen years. He got the nightmares. Now, uh, now is when I started getting to like H.P. Lovecraft and yeah, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, I need to. I feel like H.P. Lovecraft is truly underrated. Well, <laughs> Carpenter would tackle him finally about ten years after this movie, and in, in the Mouth of Madness, he would finally tackle Lovecraft. Eventually, we're going to tackle that film. In fact, it has ties to this movie, and I'll get that once we cover the film. There's a reason for that. It's a trilogy. There's, there's three films in particular: the Apocalypse trilogy. Again, once we get to in the Mouth of Madness, I'll talk yep. more about that. Yep. But um, Glad that's you when that up that's when Carpenter brings up Lovecraft. That's when yeah. he, that's um, when he dips his toes. Sutter King, Sutter King, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the story at the Mountains of Madness was written prior to uh, Who Goes There. Which the thing is based off of? I believe that, um, and I, knowing the background of both films and stories, I understand. I, I believe that. But uh, it's actually funny that the there is a previous story to Who Goes There called Brain Stealers from Mars that was also written by John Campbell. Body Snatchers. 
Is that what you're getting no, at with this? No, okay. no. Uh, it's where um, he initially came up with the concept for Who Goes There, but it was written more for a magazine for um, younger readers. So yeah. it was okay. that makes severely toned down. Yeah, gotcha. Hmm. All right. Your first time, Andrew? First time was in Ocean City 2001, Wow, maybe? that's very specific. No, I remember because I remember because I watched it with you and Corey Klima, uh that little that little bedroom with the two beds. Yeah. And um yeah. I remember like thinking to myself, like, holy fuck, what because I had never how seen how, a body how, horror. How, how how old were you? Twelve. Twelve, thirteen, yeah. Oh, he feels so appropriate I, about it. So I was like, I don't know what I just saw, but it is the dopest shit ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> even there's, you can't really compare this film to anything. The yeah, effects yeah, are so bonkers, and the, I, I, I have some things. To say I had never seen the fly at that point. I had never seen Videodrome at that point, so mm. I didn't know what a body horror yeah, movie was. Kronenberg is about as close yeah. as it gets. Yeah. Wait, did you say the fly? Coming soon to the Film Effect Podcast. Uh, I want to do Videodrome. <laughs> he said Videodrome too. I want to do Videodrome. I was say Videodrome is fucking gnarly. Yeah, we're, uh, yeah. So we're doing Videodrome too, Yang. Whether or not he likes it, uh, yeah, I want Videodrome in on there. That's, he puts he the VHS into a stomach. Coming next <laughs> year, we'll do Videodrome. <laughs> yeah, it's you're, like you're going to eat the flying mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving weekend all of a sudden. Surprise. No, we're doing flying for the Harathon. Next year's only four months away. Yeah, exactly. So oh, we are doing the up flying, aren't we? We're doing the I fly in October. Which one? The original. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The remake. Okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. Jeff, it's still an so we were Jeff So we were all arguably around that, that like, like post-pubescent, pre-teenage years when we, when we all laid eyes on this flag. Right? Not so much me. I was later in life. Okay. Well, I also... I, I well, Ian, I, I don't know how old you are, so you would have been... I, I was, um, yeah, at our same age. Yeah, um, age. So it was 1990 when I saw it. I was eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. I so, yeah, I mean, I was, film was released in what, 82? Yes. 83? 82. 82. So I would have seen it on cable by 83. Cool. So I would have been eight or nine. I'm thinking it's where I saw the damn thing from. If I would have rented it, you know, dad or mom would have got it for me, but I don't see that. I th- I know the film's been in, been just like there in the stock. And the images have been here for 30 plus years. All right, live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on my... This week attack, we're going to be doing no top five song is Radiation and Ruling the Nations. Um, you know, such as the group to U.S. Outpost 31, this film. So, round robin, the way we go, I'll start. My number five is the original 1978 Dawn of the Dead. We'll do count, We'll do clockwise, Andrew. You're next. You know what? I was going to say Dawn of the Dead, but I will throw another one out there. And instead, you it's not necessarily it's not. it's not necessarily a band, quote unquote, of survivors, but Alien. 
uh, more or less aliens. But, uh, no, no, you're right. Alien. Yeah, yes, Alien right. is yes. a better survival right. film yeah, you're than right. Aliens. Okay, for sure. Um, I got Joe Carnahan's The Gray. Ooh, the Gray's good. I had that on my honorable mentions. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> it may not be a great movie, but uh, I'm going to go with The Mist. All right. No, that's a great yeah, film. That's yeah. a fantastic ending, too. Yeah, for yes. real. I yeah, like Dar- it. Yeah, Darabont did it better than King did, man. I mean, that, that's one. Yes. It kicks you, you right in the boo-boos, bro. Right? You yes, it does. The curlies. That I was one of those films that ended, and I was like, I can't believe what I just saw. Right? I don't know if I'm angry or sad or it's, what the hell's it, going it, on. It puts you through. <laughs> it puts you through. It. So my number four is The Flight of the Phoenix. The original with... Are you talking to one? They're both the same story, yeah. yeah but I'll, just I'll the story, to okay. okay. I'll refer to 04, but they're the same Dennis Quaid? Yeah. I got you. It's funny that you say The Grey, and I actually had this a lot higher on the list, but I'm going to say it right now because you said The Grey. We watched The Grey at the movie-thon one time. Yeah, we did. recall, that yeah. same movie-thon we saw Frozen, which is... Another, which is my film. Frozen. Oh, you do yes. with, with the kids stuck on a ski lift? The ski lift, yes. yeah. Yes. Okay, it's, so, it's yeah, it's a couple survivors. That there, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see that will qualify. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give it a pass. Um, what are we on number four? My number four was uh, Werner Herzog's Rescue Dawn. Okay, I like it. Good film. Christian Bale, Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Fucking Steve I'm, Zahn. I'm a huge Steve Zahn fan. Fucking Steve Zahn. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. That's it. Yeah, my number four. I'm gonna go with Thirty Days of Night. Yeah, which just yes. which just got brought up. I was gonna say, well, I thought that was brought we, up recently on the show. It, come to find out, you know, your boys never seen it. Oh, really? What? No, no we, oh, we, we, oh, we it's just, so good. We ju- we just recorded H two O. That's Saturday really night. It's H2O. definitely Hartnett's best performance. It's, it's one. Of, yeah, we we recorded it. We recorded H two O. Like the other night with Josh from. Um, the okay. next favorite movie, and uh, yeah, it's, we we got into we got in a little deep with Thirty Days of Night. I was surprised Ed's never seen it. That's wow. very that big ups on you for that, man. That, you brought it up. It's up here two weeks in a row. That surprises me that you haven't seen that one. It's good. I've seen it's every horror movie. I don't no, know. No, no, fucking just, lies. It's <laughs> it's cool that we've uncovered that we've uncovered an itch on the air that Ed should scratch, and that's something. Yeah, that's something to be said. Right. That's right. 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 special. It's pretty cool. Anyway, watch it. All right, my number three yeah. is Predator. All right. Okay. Then Survivors. Fair enough. <laughs> um, my number three, and I replaced it with what was Frozen, but it is Day After Tomorrow because I'm such a nerd for that film for whatever reason. I remember <laughs> seeing it in theaters. I had a blast watching it. I just watched it not too long ago. and still fun. It one it's not the it's best the film theater. in the world, but it's still fun. Yeah, it's a Roland Emmerich disaster movie. Like, Roland Emmerich is like, all right, yeah. I've done... I've, I've, I've done Aliens. Um, I've done asteroids. Let me do the great deluge. Yeah, hell yeah. World's coming to an end. He just dumps (laughs) water on everything and sees what happens. I'll give you that. Um, my my number three was the, uh, I mean, the original Survivor story, Alive. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Ninety-three. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it's a true story. But it's a true story. Never seen it. About the you know it was cannibalism. yeah, it was. It was. It's a true team? story about a yes. rugby team from, I believe, Chile. We're on the way back from an international championship. Their plane went goes down over the Andes on a little charter plane. Okay. This plane crashes in the Andes. You know, filled with maybe 20, 30 some odd people, and it's only a handful left, and they're stuck up in the mountains. 
the winter, no food. What are you going to do? Yeah. You got to start eating each other. You're going to eat snow cones for life. Yeah, you can't eat snow cones for the rest of your life. <laughs> they actually have to resort to cannibalism until eventually. And there's, you know, there's there's a positive ending to it. And it really ended the way that it did because, like, it, the film ends with a montage of photographs of the actual, you know, uh, soccer Let's not team. go into the lie. We'll but still, save it for another that's, that's what, but Andrew's never heard, seen right. a lot of it. But yeah, so that was my, so that's the ultimate survival story. Should happen in like okay. 70 or 71. Uh, my number three is actually uh, also the Predator. Nice. Not the Predator. Well, Predator. Okay, I was going to say. Not the Predator. Sure. I, I always forget that. Yeah, okay. I don't mind. I haven't watched I was about that. to say, it's not that bad. Damn. The, the Fred Decker, Shane Black. It's not that bad. Predator? Not that bad. Yeah, I don't mind. From like three years ago? Yeah, it's fun not with it. that I just I like Shane Black. You immediately like jumped Shane on Black. his back. I was like, fuck that movie. Like, it's I, not I, that bad. It is bad, but okay. It's not great. Um, it's not great, but it's not that bad. So my number two is The Mist. Hmm. Oh. All right. My number two is a film that I saw twice in theaters, and it is Interstellar. I love Interstellar. Never it's not it. a horror film, but it is a very proper it's not a survival for the survivors. benefit of mankind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, didn't ask, I didn't ask for a horror film. So I asked for well, there you go. Um, my number two is going to be Apollo 13. Hmm. Different. Um, I like it. I like that. Yeah, fun, fun, but yeah. scary. My number two is actually Dawn of the Dead, the original. Hey. Nice. I thought hey. about Dawn of the Dead a lot, but I really figured somebody else was going to put it on there, so I didn't. Well, it's not a I mean, yeah, but still. <laughs> you just well, it's also I'm not ranking these films either. So. And my number one is, come on, I'm talking about it, the thing. That's my number one. My number one is Full Metal Jacket, because goddamn it. I love war films, and I really love Stanley Kubrick, and I definitely love Full Metal Jacket. Well, I mean, Which, Survivor, dude, hold on, I got to ask you, in Survivor terms, you just put in that final troop where they're going up against yes. the female snipers yes. or survivors. All right, the I don't know, judges, judges, film. will you allow it? Will you allow it based on that reconciliation as a Survivor film? Yeah, I mean, I love a, the fact that he wants to talk about Full Metal it Jacket. It plays a part, it's not with the overall... Plot is about, but it plays a part. The overall plot is about the war. The okay. beginning half of the film is setting the war up. Yeah, Kubrick definitely split that one in half. Duh. Oh, fuck. I mean, the first. We allow it? Okay, yeah. all right. So you're in. You're in. You should allow it. The first half is uh, the whole antithesis of the film. Right, okay. Yeah. All right, the whole surviving boot camp, surviving the war. Everyone did. Right, you're okay. All right, so Universal. Robin. We'll uh, allow it, hardcore. That's fine. Good job. That's, nice it, that, that's the heart and soul of the film. The survival, <laughs> so. You're right. You're right. I'll give it to you. <laughs> All right, um, and I knew is... someone was going to say that. That's why I was like, I've got this defense already built up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I'm sure you knew that someone was going to be me. Uh, my number one is Hateful Eight. I was thinking about that. Okay. I mean, we're already talking about the thing. I love the thing. I know. Yeah. Shit, they, they I meant to put that on my which, list. Which, which version of the, the like fifty-hour version or yeah, or the thirty-two-hour version? Give me all version. the give me all the minutes. I love that movie so much. It's um, a good flick. It's I mean, I had to watch it in a few sittings, though. I've I, I've still I haven't done the chapterized Netflix one, but. I don't know if you heard the story, but we all went to the road show when he did the 75 millimeter release and he had the extended cut. Nice. With the internet. Yeah. So that was my initial viewing of Hateful Eight 
was that 70 millimeter presentation roadshow. So that was already the extended cut. A fucking my, movie so long it needed a break. Right. And, and my understanding was when, when he did that Uber cut on Netflix was he just chopped the same thing into four 50 minute quarters. But Ed's telling me that's not the case. So if you ask me which I prefer, I'm talking the 70 millimeter one because that's, you know, my original, what I saw. But I haven't seen the. You said it's what like four hours. Of oh, I, I I don't know. It's it's. <laughs> but it's you got you got to take movie. breaks. It's it. very long. I mean, it's something you throw something in a crock pot on and watch it throughout the day while you're doing. That's one of those. Yeah. That's okay. one of those rare movies where I thoroughly enjoyed it, but like midway through it, I'm like, when the fuck is this going to end? Jesus <laughs> that's Christ. what's fun. But see, I, I grew up. I grew up in a household where you know I'd go to grandma, and grandpa's on the weekend, and, and grandpa be watching westerns and drinking beer, and there's westerns being on. So I'm used to that. And, uh, well, I mean, Kurt Russell was also in that. and uh, With a righteous beard. Yes. Uh, also with a righteous beard, but goddamn, the guitar story is fucking yes, heartbreaking. Yes. Her, little, uh, her legit look that's in the final cut. Oh, my it's God. Great. It's great. Would you know the story behind it? Watch the scene. You can't unlook it. Yes. I, I would have. You can't unsee it. Fallen on my knees and wept. Oh, and um, my honorable mentions, real quick, are Annihilation, The Gray, Hateful Eight, and Saw Two. So my number one, I guess. I'm oh shit! I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> <laughs> that's Eli. Got I the thought jar, he said Hateful Eight. Oh my bad. I'm so I was sorry. Hateful Eight. What's he doing? Okay, so I'm gonna cut that out. So. I am a huge Bruce Campbell fan. I read his autobiography. Hell yeah! I'm going with the original control. Evil Dead. Yeah, there we oh, go. Nice. Nice. I like this it. Campy as fuck. How is it that none of us came up with that? But or Evil Dead. It's, Evil Dead is fucking magnificent. Same reason I come up with Hateful Eight. So it happens. So my honorable mentions are <laughs> Annihilation, Hateful Eight, The Gray, and Saw Two. So you read, did you read both If Chins Could Kill and Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way? I only read If Chins Could Kill. Okay. I met him. He signed, my ne- he signed my Necronomicon. <laughs> See, I love Bruce Campbell so much that I fucking just blew through, um, what, what was that, Burn Notice? Yeah. Burn Notice yeah. is so good. It's yeah. such a fucking great show because Bruce Campbell just brings it all together. Yeah, he does. You Sam take Bruce has. Campbell out, it would be subpar, but I'll tell you what. Well, you saw he's got that little prequel movie. The Something of uh, Sam, Sam Max. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Here we go. All right, so the film begins. Antarctica winter 1982 uh, when an American Antarctic research station is alerted by gunfire and explosions pursued by a, Nor- a Norwegian helicopter an Alaskan Malamute uh, makes its way into the camp as the science station's crew looks on in confusion um, so yeah this film literally starts with just you know you got the opening credits first thing we actually see though is um, like a saucer over in, in space can I say that is the only part of this movie that I absolutely fucking hate is seeing that seeing the saucer spacecraft. yeah uh, it's it's you rather just dumb, start it it's off unnecessary, right? It's, well, you just, if, wait, you just want it, to start it off with the mystery of what the fuck is going on in the Antarctic, I right? 
And you know, but it does. Lead I mean, it kind of kills the momentum of what it is and where it comes from when you see it's some never, form of a UFO <laughs> just flying above, above or whatever. It's honestly never had an impact with me one way or another. You guys, I like, see where <laughs> they're coming from. Like, I guess, yeah, yeah. It's Easter, and I understand. The, the cool thing about it, that the one cool thing about it is, it, it does that show the title card, the shot of the Earth. Oh, yeah, well. And the Earth is completely blue, so you can tell it's probably during the Ice Age, mm-hmm. and the Earth is frozen over at this point in time. Yeah. So you're under the theory that it takes place in, like, a, the, the, like a post-apocalyptic you know, times? When, no, when the, the ship world... crashes is okay. hundreds of millions of years ago. Yeah, because it already started. Oh, like, oh, 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 we're going back. Not, okay, they, they, yeah, they yeah, yeah, the, right. The and that makes sense. Yes, okay. I just like it because it leads into that gnarly title card that was taken from the original. Yeah, and that inspired uh, black metal band logos for... Yeah. (laughs) And they accomplished it by, like, burning a trash bag around a fish tank and shit. And so, yeah, we we cut to, like, the the snowy mountains of Antarctica, and we got this this dog that's just... You see the helicopter first, and it pops up from above the peak of the mountains, and... It, you see that it's chasing this dog, and this dog just kind of like it's way ahead of the chopper, and it gets into this camp. It kind of like, guess I'll call this my home now, and just goes in and helps himself, you know, uh, until he's found by uh, Clark or whomever. Can't remember. Um, so yeah, so through reckless use of the thermite charge, the helicopter is destroyed and its pilot killed in the resulting explosion. So. This is my great with this movie. We got these two Norwegians. One of them takes a grenade, pulls the, the, the pin, and in like a numbskull moment, like a Benny Hill moment, right, it throws it behind him, like whoop! He draws and he like back to dies and for it, and mood. as a result, dies. Like, okay. And blows up the helicopter. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that too. And then the other one just takes a shot in the face from um. Gary, Gary, thank you. Yeah, but the but the other one, he actually starts screaming at the gang first because he shoots. What's and they don't know what he's saying. Right now, here's my gripe though, because anyone speaking fluent Norwegian knows the twist immediately. If you if you if you speak the language, you know what he's saying. Have you ever? You guys ever looked at that? No. He is saying, get away from him. That is not a dog. That is a thing. It is mimicking dog. Step away. (laughs) Yes, what he says is actually in Norwegian. So can you imagine being like a sci-fi dork in 1982? That goes to the theater, and you want to that small percentage, and let's face it, there's probably at least 54 to, you know, 75 of them, that may have known a little bit of Norwegian at the time. Mm-hmm. And then you hear this guy deliver this line of dialogue, and boom, fucking mind blown three minutes into the film. But yeah, that's what the guy is saying right before he shoots, um, I keep wanting to call him Bridgerton, it's not Bridgerton, whatever the guy's name is, shoots him in the leg. But yeah, he's like, step away from the dog. It is. It is. It is not a dog. It's a thing. It's. It's. It's imitating. So, did you um, look at the sign for the uh, the base 
the American base. Yeah, it's it's number four. Yes. Yeah, I wrote it down. It's um. It's number four. It's not thirty one. No, it's Outpost Thirty One. It's Station Four. Station it's, Four. It's U S Outpost Thirty One Institute Station Four. Okay. So. Did you read the sign below? But the sign says Institute Station Four, and then I didn't catch the what was below it. There's a sign below it. Um, it is a Smokey the Bear sign, <laughs> and it says, "Use your ashtrays. Keep Antarctica green." Yeah, I, I did notice the Smokey <laughs> the Bear. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, I like it's, those. I, a, a I little did bit of I, no, I didn't catch that. Nice, <laughs> much, much, much like Doctor Copper's nose ring, who I'll get yes. into in a minute. I did not catch that <laughs> until watching Ed's 4K version on Voodoo last night. I'm like, son of a bitch, look at that little Smoky Bear sign. And then later on, I'm like, what the fuck is Richard Dyson doing with a goddamn nose ring? Yeah, I, I didn't catch that until my second recent viewing. <laughs> it's fucking escaped us this yeah. long. I felt like an imbecile that escaped me for so long. Yeah, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> all right, so not knowing what to make of the incident, the station crew adopts the dog. I forgot to mention that um, in, in the ensuing gunfire, um, George gets grazed in the leg, yeah, one of the thanks. guys on there. Yeah. I just want to say, why the fuck is there a dog in Antarctica just running around? They have a whole... They have a whole... Uh, Kennel. Kennel, thank you. Yeah, they use those Malamutes like okay, dogs like stuff. So yeah. even even a normal. Haven't you ever seen Snow Dogs, the Cuba Gooding Jr.? <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're just fucking running around in Antarctica. There's a little bit of sense, sense to be made there. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a Norwegian camp a few miles north. So unable to contact the outside world via hand radio, helicopter pilot RJ McCready. Kurt Russell and Dr. Copper uh, risk a flight to the Norwegian camp only to find it destroyed. Most of its personnel missing and a corpse in the radio room with its throat and wrist slashed. Um, finding evidence that the Norwegians had dug something out from on the ice, uh, the pair returned to the station with the partially burned remains of a humanoid corpse of two faces. An autopsy of uh, the, the cadaver by Dr. Blair Wilford Grimley Diabetes is inconclusive, <laughs> save to find that the creature had what appeared to be a normal set of human internal organs. Nothing wrong with this Norwegian, physiologically anyway. No drugs, no alcohol, nothing. Well, what we got here is what appears to be, anyway, a normal set of internal organs. Heart, lungs, kidneys, liver, intestines. Seem to be normal. One thing that this plot detail I'm reading off doesn't uh, talk about is uh, when we Max first, Sombrero. When we, I love the Sombrero. Well, when we first meet about. Russell's McCready, he's actually playing uh, chess with Adrian Barbo. Yes. And he actually yeah. uh, 
has somewhat of an attitude problem because he just says uh, he ends up pouring his drink inside Jeez and calls her a cheating bitch. That's that's no different than what happens. Let's, I look at it like this, and I I, I kind of you know took this to thought this morning after you know laying down after watching the film, you know getting a little nap before Ed picked me up. I was thinking this is almost foreshadowing because yeah, he's pouring his drink. His drink is a fucking J and B scotch. That's all we see McCready carry. That's it. Okay, he's even making lots of cocktails with right, him. Right. So he pours this this glass of scotch into the into the chess computer, calling a bitch. Now the rest of the film, he's playing chess moves against you know the other inhabitants of yep. of, of Outpost Thirty One. He's got it on the mind. It's like to me- where, to where he's got to utilize the damn scotch to burn the house down and end the chess game. So it's there. Yeah. You guys ever look at it like that? No. When no. My, <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Absolutely makes sense, yeah. Pretty cool. When I work, I work in a warehouse, and I also stock shelves at a good old Wally World itself, Walmart, for a living when I'm not doing the podcast. But you're not drinking scotch on job. No, I'm not doing that. But my point is, um, I get the mentality because I'm an avid Tetris person. I like to play that game. And so when I'm putting away stuff, especially boxes, it's all about Tetris. It's like... um. He's always doing, he's doing chess, you know, doing his thing. And I've always got Tetris on the mind. So I can relate, you know, really? anything. When you play it enough, it's finding the lowest it, common it's denominator. It's in with, your everyday with, with lifestyle. Space, width, and dimension. Right, right. Well, I I it's kind of like getting a song you hear. It's really catchy in your head for like a couple of days and never leaves. It's, it's, it's like that. Like listen to Dolly Parton's nine to five, you know, get at me in two days. It'll still be in your head. <laughs> I mean, Love it's Alexia Pajanov's 1984 masterpiece. Got to figure out how to, how yeah. to put the blocks into yeah. the uh, blocks. So, the at Benning's request, the station's dog handler, Clark, played by the the great Richard Mazur. I have some things to say about Mazur when we get to him. Kennels the stray with the rest of the station's sled dogs. The dog itself soon transforms into a huge, hideous creature and begins to attack the other dogs. The loud barking from the dogs cause Clark to return, finding almost the entire sled team in the process of being assimilated by the creature. I don't know what the hell's in there. It's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. Bennings, go get Childs. What is this? What's, the kind of- What's going on? What's the kind of- hey, Palmer, what is it? I don't know. Wait, Childs! Mac wants the flamethrower. Mac wants the what? That's what he said. Now move! Damn it. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
And this is where my notes say Batine's effects are top notch. Not only that, he acts like it does a lot of just grotesque, like we talked about it earlier, the fly. Like I can't help but think of the fly with like the the, is that I'm assuming that's acid spitting out at the dogs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. this is also even everything prior, like when they're at the Norwegian camp and they come across the guy with the slit wrist and throats, just yeah. the frozen blood hanging right. out of the guy. Right. And this kid was what, twenty two, twenty four years old? Did you see the size out? of that gash on his neck? Yeah, it's, it's like inches. It's it's, it's like massive. That guy like he was hacking at that thing with a butter knife. He, he, that guy was, you know, a, a slice or two short of being just completely decapitated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and that and then just the body itself. Yeah. Right. Is it's just uh, and, hideous. But but and hideous the, but the one thing I, the one thing I always took away was was like I've never seen blood frozen mid drip. And sure enough, like it hadn't even hit the floor. I mean, Antarctica's like right. Of course, 50 it's below. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's going to more than that. It's like a hundred right. something but, below. But Dean showed it to you, and this kid wasn't even, he wasn't even thirty year. years old when he was doing this yet. He was still calling up his mentor, Stan like, And I would also it. like to say that this is all two years prior to Cronenberg's uh, The Fly. Yeah. Right, 84? Four years. Yeah. yeah. No, he, no, The Fly's 86. 86, he's right. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, he's okay. right. Okay. I was off by right. a couple of years, but still, but still, like, early in the game to be making grotesque body horror practical. and such. Practical. It's not body horror. It's, it's just, um, what do you want to call it? It's like... I would consider it body horror. No, body horror means, like, Fingernails and shit. It's basically as close like, to Grand Guignol as we were getting. Yeah, I guess. That's, yeah, that that would be that. the Grand Guignol theater, you know, of its time. Okay. So, McCready hears uh, the commotion and pulls the fire alarm, and everyone gathers to the kennel. After McCready and Gary shoot the creature to no avail, Childs, played by the great Keith David, all ra- arrives and incinerates it with a flamethrower. Uh, sub- 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 of subsequent, subsequent, subse- a subsequent, no, which word are we no, with? A subsequent autopsy. Okay. By Blair <laughs> reveals that the stray dog was an alien capable capable of absorbing and perfectly imita- imitating other life forms. See, what we're talking about here is an organism that imitates other life forms, and it imitates them perfectly. When this thing attacked our dogs, it tried to digest them, absorb them, and in the process, shape its own cells to imitate them. This, for instance. That's not dog. It's imitation. We got to it before it had time to finish. Finish what? Finish imitating these dogs. Realizing the implications of this, Blair quickly becomes drawn, um, withdrawn and suspicious of the others. A second helicopter expedition discovers an alien spacecraft unearthed 
by the Norwegian research team, revealing that the creature had awakened after being buried within the ice for thousands of years. Hundred thousand. Now years. this this video also shows how uh, trigger happy these Norwegians are. Yeah, because they also accidentally blew up the alien spaceship with more thermite charges. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to knock the ice out from like, around it to free yeah, it up. Yeah, it, it was a clumsy extraction uh, going wrong. Because isn't, yeah. this, isn't this when we see um, we see McCready bring back and he's kind of playing with like the, the, the burnt shards of metal. Yeah. Is that from this? Okay. Yes. All right. That's what I thought. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Bennings and Windows quarantine the remains of the dog creature and the Norwegian uh, cadaver in the storage room while Fuchs can confers with McCready in a snow snowcat that Blair is becoming unstable and his research indicates the burnt creature was still alive. Uh, the burnt creatures are still alive. Sorry. Moments after Windows left, strands of tentacle-like sinew emerged from the remains of the dog creature and the Norwegian and proceed to assimilate Bennings. Windows returns to find the creature assimilating Bennings and alerts McCready, who activates the fire alarm. The team corners the alien in mid-transformation outside and burn it with fuel. Yeah, he's almost done, and he's just got like these, he turns him, and I'm, I've always remembered this shot of Bennings on his knees. Like yeah, the way with the messed back, up hands. Right, the way yeah. it's backlit, and he and turns with that like slow motion look of fear in his face. And he's the only thing left is his hands, and they're like somewhere between lobster claws and sinewy octopi, fucking tentacle type shits. And he was almost a raptor claws. Right, right. And he and and notice and one one thing that you notice every time an assimilated human gets discovered, the moment they're discovered, they lose the ability to speak. Like every time one is discovered is when it turns to the squelch. No. Because later on, one of them's definitely having full conversation with them, and then in the same scene, it's revealed that he's assimilated. But he hasn't oh, been, yeah, it's okay. But he okay. hadn't been discovered yet. Discovered. It's the same scene, though. But it's about being right. discovered but when when the non-assimilated. But he's clearly already assimilated. He's, he's no, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they can't talk to you once they're assimilated. Once the non-assimilated has discovered the assimilated, the assimilated stops speaking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. Are, are, you are you picking up once on they're made? Once they're made. Once they're made. Like, like, fuck it. I've been outed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's now it's time. To release my I did not monsters. notice that. If they don't speak, they don't talk. They ain't no snitch. Yeah, once once they've been made, they yeah, wouldn't yeah, come right. at you full tentacle. So my notes at this point here I have are um this one kind of backdates to a couple scenes before. It involves a scene that uh uh, Palmer smoking a, a joint that he's That's smoking. a hell of a spliff, man. He dude, what the hell? It's unnecessarily large, Look, dude. it's for two people, though. It's uh, stuck in Antarctica. What the hell I know, is you going to do know. but smoke the shit it's, out of some weed and rewatch um, the same that, nine that, episodes that, that a price is right? That's, he, he's splitting that between himself and Nulls. <laughs> yeah, okay. Number two, my note here is there's... Actually, no, it's Childs in that scene. It's Childs. It it's Childs. It's Childs, yeah. It's oh, that's Childs. right. Yeah, no, uh, Nulls has the radio this up. This is also like, Yeah, yeah, Nulls is blasting. He's, he's listening around to, um, the kitchen. Uh, Stevie Wonder Superstition. There's an unusual amount of faded blacks in this movie. There is. Anybody pick up, it's like a made-for-television film. I, I, I noticed that, but, you know, at least for one segment, I think it works, and we'll get to that. 
Okay, well... Because it makes you want to, like, wait on what's going to happen. This final next. note, I can either say it now or bring it up at the end of the movie. Um, I'd kind of rather bring it up at the end because it, it ties into the end theory that people have. The last scene, who is and isn't, this one is something I've noticed that kind of helps my theory that... You're the one oh, editing it. You tell me. <laughs> Here, uh oh, oh, show you... I think we should save that for the end of session. Uh, uh, yeah, let's do that. Because there's, the there's going to be, there's gonna be that, you know, pros and cons from all sides, I think. Is it? Um, no. Okay. Nothing so, to the dogs. Okay. So, uh, in that case, I will bring this up. There. Therefore, during that, when this. the radio is blasting and... Until all the planes are superstitious. And tells him to stop from taking it down because he's, he's got shot. Yeah. You turn that down, I've been shot. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, all that happens. There is a very brief scene where you see the dog go in the, the room, dog the shadow figure, and the silhouette. Yes. Right. So, well, yeah, the, the shadow. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then fade to black. Right. The and first, we're, and we're never black. Yes. Speaking of that scene, apparently, one thing Carpenter wanted to make sure was done was that none of your core actors filmed the silhouette. So that it could never be pinpointed upon who it was. You can kind of look at the hairstyle, though. Hmm. Right. Make some inferences there. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So Blair calculates that the creature will assimilate the entire planet within three years upon reaching civilization and suffers a mental breakdown. To prevent the alien from escaping, he disables the helicopters and tractors kills the remaining dogs, and proceeds to wreck the radio room until the team overpowers him and lock him in the tool shed. Yeah, he's just having, he's just having at it with this fire axe, and he's like, Shoo! Well, there's a scene, I'm not sure if well, it's here or coming Well, dogs off. maniacally. No, I'll, I'll, no, no but I'm yet. saying, when, it, when, when he's tearing apart the radio room, like, windows uh, is all curled axe, up under yeah. the desk. Like, he's already been, you know, knocked in the head. He's got a bandage or blood running out of it. Windows is just looking for a moment to escape, and he's stuck behind Blair. And it's Brimley, like, let's face it, this is everybody's, like, you know, Uncle Quaker Oats. You know what I mean? Like, I can't remember. Minus the mustache. Right, I'm saying I love seeing him without the mustache, because now he's, like, my favorite drunken uncle from the Thanksgiving reunions. You know, but he's just bonkers, and he's just tearing shit apart. And he's shooting the people till he runs out of bullets. So yeah, this is Wilford Brimley like you never seen him before, folks. He ain't pitching diabetes testing kits. <laughs> diabetes. Diabetes. Um, um, where am I out of here? Yeah, so how many axes does that fucking guy have, by the way? Because he's, you know, in there smashing up the uh, radio room with the axe. And he's got the revolver. He killed one of the dogs and just left the axe in its neck and I mean, again, it's an anarch station. Because so they're all emergency axes, right? Doesn't each room have one of its own? Why not just let him take it with him? Because, I mean, he suspects... <laughs> take one. one. All you need is one. Yeah. You Stop figure the, the, of behind. the grand idea behind an axe, you can drop something and then take it back. Yeah. But no, this man's like, oh, I need more. <laughs> more axes. <laughs> can never leave home without it. Yeah. Them. I never leave home without them. It's like the Overlook Express card. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Now isolated, the crew realizes that they might be uh, contaminated and speculate on how to determine who is human. 
Windows finds that the medical blood supply has been destroyed, eliminating the chance of blood tests that could reveal the infected party. Because the, perpetra- the perpetrator used Gary's keys to access the blood, the team nearly dissolves into rampant, rampant, yeah, rampant paranoia as to who is guilty. McCready puts Gary, Cooper, and Clark into isolation and orders Fuchs to continue Blair's work before an encroaching Arctic storm forces them inside tight quarters. Um, so this is like, this is the big moment of the film that everyone always remembers, I think. Fuchs, attempting to continue Blair's research, goes, tr- goes missing shortly after a power failure. Fuchs' body is found severely burned. McCready speculates that Fuchs used a, a flame, a flare, to burn himself before the thing could reach him. McCready comes under suspicion uh, when a strap of torn shirt containing, containing his name tag is found at the camp, and he is locked outside in a severe blizzard. Somehow, well, what, okay. What, what, what happens there is it's not that it's just found outside of the camp. They agree to split up because Fuchs is found, you know, towards in the snow. And they're speculating was was it an assimilated Fuchs? Was it Fuchs burning himself to not get assimilated? Apparently, there was in the original story and in a deleted scene in the film, Fuchs is actually found impaled by an, an axe on a door somewhere with burn marks. So, uh, but what it is is, is uh, Nalls and McCready separate because he said he tells McCready tells Nalls, "I left my shack last night and didn't leave the light on," and they look up and there's a light on up in, in Max, you know, overhead shack by the helicopter landing pad, and they depart to go up there and it cuts back to the station, and then it ultimately gets to the scene where Nalls is kind of like stumbling, you know, he's pulling himself through the tow line to get back into the station. And even the guys inside, I forget who it is, whether it's, you know, whether it's Norris, whether it's Childs, you know, in that scene. But, like, Knowles comes in, and you're still, like, on the way it's shot, you're unsure of Knowles. Like, he's kind of stumbling in. Like, maybe he's just mm-hmm. got done being assimilated. You don't know. Like, even the audience is now starting to question everybody they like. Like, I like Knowles because T.K. Carter was a funny guy. I like Blair because I saw Wilford Brimley without a mustache and he was doing some non Wilford Brimley. And they also do a really good job in this film of hiding who is like, you know, assimilated and who isn't. Right. They do a really good job of it keeping keeps it secret. Everybody, like, yeah, it's an intense game of it's guess who. Nothing, it's yeah, never exactly an intense game of guess who. And you're you're on that razor's edge with the, with the, the rest of the surviving yeah. cast the whole time. So it's a fun fucking ride when it comes down to it. But yeah, yeah, so Knowles comes back in claiming that while him and McCready were searching his shack, Knowles found some shredded piece of McCready's clothing. And they're like, oh, well, you know, to assimilate, they got a shred of clothing. So, ah, McCready's now one of them. And they suddenly turn against him. I forgot about this until watching it this morning because it had been so long since I'd seen it. And I'm like, oh, that's right. He's not actually the superhero the whole time. You know, he becomes, you know, an antagonist. Right, yeah, he becomes a suspect, even in the mind of the audience. Like, we're starting, wait a minute, maybe McCready, because way... Oh, they found his clothes torn up. Right, and and for those few minutes, the way that that Russell plays him, like, there's a little bit more sinister in his eyes. So you as the audience are like, you know, I was rooting for you, Mac. I don't know, you're kind of being a dick right now. That that would have been a great twist, though. It's right. If they had... Lean into that. That would have been a really good twist, <laughs> right? 
Now, this this blood serum test thing is um, it, it is one of those instances where Carpenter made a fantastic call of just slightly altering the events of the novella. Okay. Um, there's this uh, long explanation in the novella about blood serum tests, how they work, and what they essentially do is take the one dog they know has not been infected, mm-hmm. and over the course of several days, uh, inject it with human blood so that it stops reacting to it and it's no longer considered poison to it. It is human immune. But since it's larger than a traditional rabbit, they have two people that have to contribute blood, which is uh, Dr. Copper and Commander Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Gary in the movie. Um, so instead of having the blood just be destroyed and having those pe- two people be suspected, uh, it turns out when they do the test, um, not only is the dog human immune, it is also monster immune. Okay. So they know that one of those two is infected. So it's like a process of elimination almost. Well, that, via via hemoglobin, right? But now they don't have an immune dog to do further tests on. They can't right. tell one way or the other. So it's the same thing with the key situation. They kind of mm-hmm. did it to split the suspicion between those two people. Right. Um, and, and I have a theory a way about that, that makes much situation. more sense for film, which I think was a fantastic edit uh, on Carpenter's part. So somehow finding his way back to camp without a guideline, McCready breaks into a storage room and threatens the rest of the crew with dynamite. In the course of the standoff, Norris, who's uh, Charles Hallahan from uh, Hunter, for those of uh, for those of you back with 80s fans from television, uh, appears to have a heart Fred, attack. Are you talking about Fred, 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 Fred Dyer? Yeah, but, but Charles Hallahan was on the show too. He was like his... Oh, I, th- I was going to say Fred Dyer doesn't show up in this movie. No, Charles know. Hallahan, who has well, a heart Fred attack Dyer here. Well, Fred Dyer had the role of Sam Maloney in Cheers, so that's how I remember. But that's a- Wasn't Hallahan also in Cheers? I don't know. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe. Who cares? It's irrelevant. Can, I, can so- I take a break real quick and just say something? Yeah, he just showed me. This literally just Omar, happened. Omar Little passed away. Michael C. Michael, Williams just died. Michael C. Williams dead. Damn. Well, what? Yeah. Fucking, yeah. Right now. Whoa! Nope. What, what happened? Yeah, Not to like here. drop this in the middle of the podcast, but no. you, you okay. just pronounced it. I told Andrew we would announce, but I, I was going to wait till now. Holy shit! Yep. Drug overdose. Fuck. Mm. Yeah, not precious, dude. For that. Damn. To Omar. Omar Little. Michael. Oh, indeed. You come at the king, you best, best not miss. miss. Oh, my coming. Mm. All right. He was not, not to drop that in the middle of the podcast. No, 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 that no, was necessary no. That He I just showed me, and I said we'd talk about it. I was gonna, I was gonna save it to the end. Sorry, it's okay. But, Shit. Um. Alright, so yeah, Norris has the uh, heart attack. Uh, his body starts transforming as uh, Copper does uh, the, goes to revive him. 
Uh, yeah, his defibrillator. Defibrillator puts his arms into what it, now it, his chest pretty much turns into a mouth. It just opens up, and they bite his arms off. And one of the gnarliest practical gore sequences uh, effects. <sighs> fucking, it is so good. You know how they did that? They had, yeah, it's an amputee, an actual amputee. You never see his actual face Dyson when he goes down, down. right? Right, and and more people are looking yeah. at the forearms than they are. Yeah, at the head. did that. That's fucking awesome. So, yeah. Now, did they did they have did they have a nose ring in the Richard Dysart mask? Does anybody know? <laughs> well, you never see it. It's only for the back of the head. Yeah, okay. they, for they, that. And yeah. then they just do a close up, right? Like, when he gets like, clear yeah. and goes down right. into his, you never you only see the back of his head. Right. So I tell us. Yeah, That's just, how you got away know, with like, it. I, I had I don't know why I have such an issue with the fact that a man as old as Richard Dyser, he's wearing a fucking copper nose ring as a, the <laughs> geologist mm. at an Antarctic research station. You would think there's a bit of a dress code no matter how long you're gonna be fucking stranded. So that kills <laughs> copper right away. McCready then advances towards the Norse thing and tortures its body, causing its head to sever itself in an attempt to escape. Leading McCready to the theorize that every piece of the alien is an individual animal with its own instinct survival, with its own survival instinct. Mm-hmm. He that this is a funny part. I've always get this. The head forms into a spider, and you see it creeping past him in the background, and he slowly turns around and just hits him with a torch. You know about about it's it's Palmer, it's Palmer and Windows, and they're just like what. It's a yeah. window. Palmer's like, fuck this shit. He's like, I'm not really that high, am I? Right. That's probably what's going on. <laughs> now, about the, the, only, the only effect that falls even on the borderline of nearly hokey for me, and it's not considering, you know, the date, time, and budget for this film, is that scene of Norris's head extending. You know, like that looks a little like an Evil Dead 2 kind of prop. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's what we've come to expect from these films. So even looking at it in 4K, who am I to point a finger? It entertains the other And then this is when Palmer's revealed to to be the thing. Now, Palmer's having a conversation with them. It's through the blood test. And then they find out that he's the alien because his blood jumps when they do the test. Well, now I made a note about that. They do the blood test. He starts having a seizure. Yeah. On the couch. As Well, hold on, hold on. Before we get there, before we get there, because I made a note about this. As they're going around, the way they do the blood test is McCready's heating up a fucking piece of copper wire. It's copper wire, right. And he's holding it to a fresh sample of blood from everybody from everybody left alive. Right. Yes. Yeah. And if the blood reacts to it, obviously they're assimilated. And, you know, it, the sequence is drawn out for a good two or three minutes. Reese testing, you know, he's like, now something I know already. And he tests his own blood. You know, he tests, you know. Normal. It's an extended sequence. It's about five minutes. Right, right. Yeah, it takes yeah. a bit. But when he gets to Palmer, and there's two things you got to notice in the scene. Number one, and I think this is a bit, and they both released on the same day, so they're not even related to what, what Cundy did in this shot. But everybody but... Palmer's eyes are like eyelet, so you kind of get that reflection. Remember how you can tell if you somebody who's a replicant in yeah. Blade Runner, right? So the opposite applies here. If they're if you know if they're assimilated, no reflection in the eye. 
So Palmer's back lit like that, but then right before McCready tests his blood in the, in the Petri dish, he says his name, he goes, Palmer, and Palmer just does it's a split second, like, smirk. He's always kind of, it's almost like he's saying to himself, like, I'm out. And, 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 like, the next scene is when it's go time, and he just, like, splits apart and, and seizures out on the couch. Now, also, when they're going around uh, the room showing everyone... Palmer is the only one who looks even remotely calm. Right? Yeah. He's like, he knows his time is coming. He's yeah. the guy who fell asleep in jail. He's, he's, he's resigned. Yeah. Right. And he's planning. It's like, how am I going to get these motherfuckers? Yep. Everybody's um, thinking he's stoned or he's just like separated from the thing as an audience. Like right. Thinking, yeah. now, uh, this guy's just stoned and don't give a shit. But you're right. He's the dude who fell asleep in the holding cell. Now, this scene is actually something as opposed to the novella that uh, Carpenter extended. I'll be brief. Uh, in the um, in the novella, they essentially use a cattle prod, so it doesn't have McCready there sitting there heating up a no, copper every, wire. Every I, gotta do I it. fucking everyone. And, <laughs> it draws uh, on. It does draw on yeah, for a little bit. With, with a cattle prod, you just stick it in and hit a button. Yeah. Right. And good exactly. to go. So with this, right. they, he, this was an active choice to draw that scene out as a, from what the original story Yeah, was. and it does extend some and tension, man. It, yeah. it helps It oh. helps the audience. Like, I don't the know who I The tension is so high in this oh, scene. Oh, absolutely. And it absolutely. just keeps building and building and building. <laughs> and then when that blood jumps out of that uh, and more, and, and more Cody score like, helps with the assistant. Holy shit! And, and that's, that, that's up there. It's, it's yeah, maybe not it's, quite it's up there effect. with uh, misery, with right. the hobbling, but it's pretty close. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it, it vibrates you in your in your soul. Um, all right, so Clark, in an act of mutiny, attempts to stab McCready with a scalpel, only to end up being shot in the head and killed by McCready in self-defense. We failed to mention that. Um, and then when they did the testing. It's revealed that he wasn't assimilated, so then Childs calls him a murderer. Yeah, I mean, which he's got a point. Kind of got a point. I mean, it well, makes you second guess your hero. That's one thing I but, forgot about this. But film. does it? I mean, it was ha, it happened too fast for McCree to really notice. But I mean, yeah, was, I mean, yeah, was, I, mean, was I understand. In the moment, he was coming at him. I, I he's like, coming at him with a scalpel that he tucked. But he gave him a headshot. My yes. man got a headshot. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll argue this. It at least makes my man. So yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't premeditated, but yeah, it was it was survival of the fittest at that point. And yeah, McCready just shoots Knowles. I mean, uh, Clark Clark right in the. So point. when Palmer is tested, blood flees from the hot wire, revealing that he is an imitation. Exposed, Palmer then transforms and begins mauling windows. McCready attempts to burn Palmer, but his flamethrower jams and fails to ignite. After it finishes mowing windows, McCready finally gets the flamethrower working and burns the Palmer thing, then finishes it off with a stick of dynamite before burning the infected windows. Um, um, hands down. This effect is so fucking greatest, gnarly. Greatest, greatest six and a half to seven minutes of practical effects. Not only in the history of 80s cinema. The, the, the legs flaying around and everything. Oh, it's what so good. Oh, trap yes. something just tells me blood everywhere. Something tells me Sam Raimi sat in on a screening of this film and went, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. There had to be at least one time where Raimi's like, I'm going to 
deep back when he got Tom Sullivan on the phone. He's like, you got to get to work. Uh, you know? So, yeah, that was, that's, that, that, that whole sequence, man. Conf- Confirming that McCready, Childs, Gary, and Knowles are still human, the surviving crew set out to, tool, to the tool shed in order to administer the test to Blair while Childs keeps watch, only to discover that he has escaped by tunneling his way underground. When Before, did Blair find the time? <laughs> when we cut earlier in the film, I, I was going to say something, but Hold you on, said stop, it. Stop. Let me say something. Before we got back, I forgot to mention that anybody notice the noose. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. The I noose. actually yeah, have the, that the, in my notes. The noose. Yeah. Okay. And he's. Uh, so we forgot to mention the noose. Yeah. Blair. His noose hanging. He really. And it's wants never brought off. So it's it's never acknowledged. It's just chilling in the background. Yeah. The, noose, the first time you see it is when they check it on the front. And it's it's hanging there. Yeah. And it's and obviously when he's eating the beans. When he's, he's like, like, I'm better. Guys. I'm better, guys. I can come out. And he has to come back in. And I made a note about that too. There's there's an actual sweet moment. Between like, especially the way Wilford Brimley delivers it, he looks he looks at Mac when they're in that shed. Yeah, you know, he's sitting eating the beans. The noose is hanging right by the door, and he, he better, looks. Guys. He, Blair looks up at Mac with almost like these puppy dog eyes, yeah. and he's a childlike innocence. He goes, "I don't know who to trust." Like a sad old man with Alzheimer's asking you to help take over his life, and you feel for him for a moment. And then again, when they Max, get to like, the tunnel, you, you see that. The Lord. Right. Like that. right. <laughs> and then they get to this scene, and, you know, Blair's dug out underneath, and the noose is hanging there. So, yeah, Blair's noose may sh- showed up in my notes as well, but we were doing such a quick plot breeze through that. Yeah. So they follow the path and discover that not only has Blair been assimilated, but he has also been constructing a small flying vehicle of alien design underneath the tool shed now to reach it, and infect the mainland. It's like a mini flying saucer. I love yes. it. Right, right. So, it's like an ID4 spacecraft. I love it. So so you guys took away that Blair's already been assimilated by the time he's building yes, yes. Blair's infected. Oh, yeah. because, he, because he's infected with this the, the scene we were talking about, the noose he's infected. Yeah, he's been infected pretty he much. He's kind of like 50 50. Yeah. Should I kill myself or should I get the fuck off of this? And like, I can, I can kind and of that's, understand. And that's the, why he builds the circular spacecraft. Yeah. He's okay. and, and the, and part of it is, um, the whole like going absolutely insane thing was, it, it was a bit of an act so that he could get himself some privacy. Yeah. Right. So that he could build a ship. Like Which that, that makes was, sense as to why he'd be able to a dig so fast and b build so. Well, quick. yeah, he can just turn into some sort of tunneling creature, either from, okay, uh, uh, f- probably from its homeworld or whatever, right. um, or just you know turn his hands into shovels or something, right? Um, yeah, he, he he was being crazy to kind of get himself some alone time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he, he even had me fooled when he's like, I don't know who to trust, and I felt sorry for Grandpa Diabetes. You cried for an alien. Look at you. And I'm such a fucking sucker to these films. No, <laughs> you cried in pink. <laughs> well, you fell into it. <laughs> and, uh, All right, so I, I, I dig what you're saying, man. Thanks for so they return to the surface to witness Childs inexplicably abandoning his post at the main gate, followed by the facility losing power. 
Realizing that the creature now wants to freeze again to the future, so a future rescue team will find it, the remaining crew acknowledge that they will not survive and set out to destroy the facility in hopes of killing the creature. So while setting explosives in the underground generator room, Gary is killed by the infected player. I like this kill. This little yeah, covers little, his mouth with his like hand and his, like his, his, his head. fingers go into his cheeks. Yeah. With no blood. And the way he pulls like, it, yeah, it like forms that. over his mouth and just and pulls his head. Like, and it just like goes straight through his cheeks and into it's his brain. It's, it's a good, it's a effective there's gag. No, there's like no <laughs> blood or gore, nothing. It just makes you even more uncomfortable. So Nulls follows... today, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nulls follows the sounds of the creature and is never seen again. Yeah, he's just gone. Just exit stage left. You never see TK Power or TK uh, Carter. Carter again. Yeah. Um, the only indication of Nall's fate is sealed by a lone noise McCready hears from the other underground chamber. Well, what was supposed to happen was when everything comes burling, when when let's let's call it Blair thing, the tremor effect. Yes, yes. Where 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 it rips yeah. the floorboards and stuff. Yes. So what was supposed to happen with the whole Blair thing, and I I called it um, the final thing because it's like final thing is gnarly because it looks like it's every the boss ass- thing. Right. It's it looks <laughs> got like every ass- like piece right. of assimilation. The final boss. Right. Um, so what was supposed to happen in that scene was when the the tremors start. You were supposed to see Nulls like kind of come up from underneath, and he's like, "Help me, McCready, help me!" And he's still being pulled down and assimilated by Blair thing. Mm. But it just looked so hokey that they took it out. Right, right, right. I would, I would argue, fuck it, Cabal cut that motherfucker in because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm if down. They even I'm, had the footage. I'm, I'm yeah. down with a longer version of this movie, even if some of it steeps in quality. At least you know, you know, pique my curiosity. Well. You know, right. tickle my whisper, if you will. All right, so alone, McCready prepares to detonate the charges when the creature, larger than ever, emerges from below the floor and destroys the detonator. Final boss. Yeah, McCready like attacks. See, like there's dog heads coming mm-hmm. out of it. It's like a Part creation of, of everything. It's, yeah, like everything that's assimilated is there. Like you even see like every sub boss come together to form right, this big Blair's final boss. Head is like part of his left hip, mm-hmm. I think. So the McCready attacks it with a stick of dynamite, setting off the rest of the charges and destroying Blair and the entire and the entire facility. McCready wanders the burning ruins to face his fate with a bottle of J&B scotch. Of course, Mac would, would, he would at least salvage the last bottle of J&B. He tucked that thing into the ice. Yes, he did. (laughs) He knew. And he encounters a returning (laughs) Childs. Childs claims that he thought he saw Blair in the storm, so he went after him and got lost, but McCready is unconvinced. With the polar climate closing in around them and without any method to determine whether or not either of them is is really human, they acknowledge the futility of their distrust, sharing a drink as the camp burns and the cold returns, awaiting their inevitable deaths. Where were you, Charles? 
thought I saw Blair. I went out after him. Got lost in the storm. Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. the thing from john carpenter my theory real quick though i want to double back on that because we're at the moment so you know earlier after all this shit's going down and mccready gives that speech where he's like i know i'm human the whole time he's talking and they're all outside because the rest of the crew's got their thermos on they got their masks and shit because it's like 150 below zero outside for christ's sake you know they're supposed to be in antarctica um not a single strand of breath comes from his mouth. Whether it's intentional or a one-set boo-boo, it's not there. People have been saying for years, oh, Childs, when he talks, you never see his breath and whatnot. You, you don't see it earlier from... When he, when yeah, you don't see it from McCready earlier either when he says, I know I'm human. Right. So that just... That that right there eliminates that argument. You can no longer use the Childs doesn't have any visible breath. Other. Exactly. Yeah, rather, so, rather, rather than justifying the point like a reflection... You hear that thing... You hear that thing theorists out there? <laughs> never again do I want to hear that bullshit excuse that... That child's breath is never seen because guess what? Your boy McCready, you don't see his breath earlier in the film either. And that is a tip you can take from your boy film effect, Ed. That being said, let's move on to the casting of the film. Well, can, can I tack on to that theory real quick? It's hold that thought. Okay. We're not. No, 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 no. I'm saying hold that thought. We're not going to casting just yet. Go no. on. Um, I honestly don't think either one of them is infected. I don't either. Nope. If we're going to talk about this now, I don't think – I think they're both human. They both survived fair and square. I think um, they're fucked, you know, uh, otherwise. So um, I'm going to use this opportunity to bring up what is considered canon. Unless unless you want to um, see like Mary Elizabeth Winstead pull up in her little uh, bobcat. You've <laughs> always got room for two more? What is considered canon by John Carpenter and you know, most people involved? 
was, I'm sure this guy remembers it. I remember it. There was a fantastic little survival Video game. The thing to yes, too. I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blockbuster. Yeah. Did you do you remember yeah, this 2001? game? Yes, yes, yes. 2002. It was, it was it was a Resident Evil style shooter, yeah, and so it, 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 it picks up after so the destruction, but you're still there. And there's it, you know, again, it plays there. there there's you're, Hang you're on, can I, can I say something real quick? Yeah. That is a really adorable, cute notebook you've got there. Yeah, I know. And I just want to acknowledge that <laughs> that's, notebook you've been rocking. That's my film effect notebook. That's where I take all my film effect notes <laughs> for uh, every title. Carry on, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so it's it, 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 it plays tight and scary like the film because you're, you know, it's right. like Resident Evil game. Yeah. So you're kind of stalking you through dark corridors. you got to no, find flares. you, right, you got to find right. ammo. Oh, um, but in the start of the game, it's revealed that Charles is frozen and McCready's alive. And you're kind of basically biding your time until your rescuer, you know, rescue team gets there or whatever. But, um, yeah, so that's even Carpenter's considered the thing video game as part of canon. And in that, um, Charles is just frozen in the ice. So um, but frozen yeah. as a human. Because what's, let's face it, like the last thing McCready says is that we're sitting here and Wait, you see what So happens. what happened? They both fell asleep after showing that bottle and I mean, he woke Jesus up in a Christ, box of ice. They were exhausted and <laughs> fucking drunk yeah, on okay. Yeah, he says... Probably um, had low blood sugar. It, what did McCready say? He said, if I, either of us had any surprises for the other, I don't think we're in any shape to uh, <laughs> no, and, right. and act on them or something. Yeah, nobody's got the fucking energy but to move on that If shit. one of them was the thing, they could... Just, just like right. zap into be, the other. Yeah. Right. And the fact and that done. we've never seen, like, you know, the Thing 2 starring Kurt know, Russell and. Uh, or Keith David, yeah. for that matter. All right. I think it's a reason. Let's talk about the casting. Yeah. So, Kurt Russell was involved in the production before being cast, helping Carpenter develop his ideas. Because um, you got to remember, Russell, I think it was 79, worked with Carpenter closely to do that Elvis film. And they were pals ever since, from even before that. Um, no, it was around the same time because Escape from New York was in 80. So, yeah, that, that lines up. So, Russell was the last actor to be cast in June of 81, by which point second unit filming had started already in Alaska. Carpenter had worked with Russell twice before but wanted to keep his options open. Discussions with the studio involved using actors Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, or Nick Nolte, who were either unavailable or declined, and Sam Shepard, um, who showed interest but was never pursued. Tom Atkins and Jack Thompson were strong early and late contenders for the role of McCready, but the decision was made to go with Russell. In part, Carpenter cited the practicality of choosing with someone that he had found reliable before and who would not balk at the difficult filming conditions. It took Russell about a year to grow his hair and beard out for the role, so it's all natural, no wig. Um, at various points, the producers met with Brian Dennehy, Chris Christopherson, John Hurd, Ed Harris, Tom Berenger, Jack Thompson, Scott Glenn, Fred Ward, Peter Coyote, Tom Atkins, and Tim McIntyre. Some passed on the idea of starting in a monster film, while Dennehy became the choice to play Cooper. Each actor was to be paid $50,000, but after the more established Russell was cast, his salary increased to four hundred k. Jeffrey Holder, Carl Weathers, and Bernie Casey were considered for the role of Childs, and Carpenter also looked at Isaac Hayes. 
having worked with him on Escape from New York, Ernie Hudson was the frontrunner and was almost cast as Childs until they met with Keith David. The Thing was David's first significant film role, and coming from a theater background, he had to learn on set how to hold himself back and not show every emotion his character was feeling with guidance from Richard Masur and Donald Mo- uh, Moffat in particular. Uh, Mazur and David discussed their characters in rehearsals and decided that they could not like each other for Blair. The team chose the then unknown Wilford Brimley as they wanted and every man whose absence would not be questioned by the audience until the appropriate time. The intent with the character was to have him become infected early in the film but off screen so that his status would be unknown to the audience, concealing his intentions. Carpenter was also... I'm sorry, Carpenter wanted to cast Donald Pleasance, shocker, but it was decided that he was too recognizable to accommodate the role. T.K. Carter was cast as Knowles, but comedian Franklin Ajay, Ajay. Ajay also came in to read for the role. Instead, he delivered a lengthy speech about the character being a stereotype, after which the meeting ended. Um... It's a lot. It's a, it's a mouthful for cast, but it's a, it's really interesting stuff that's going to keep going. Uh, Boutine lobbied hard to play Palmer, but it was deemed impossible for him to go alongside his existing duties. Uh, Rob Boutine, the uh, special effects makeup artist, as the character was, um, he had some comedic moments. Universal brought in comedians Jay Leno, Gary Shandling, and Charles Flesher, who's Roger Rabbit, uh, among others but opted to go with actor David Clennon, who is better suited to play the dramatic elements. Clennon had read for the Bennings character, but he preferred the option of playing Palmer's uh, blue-collared stoner to a white-collared science man. Powers Booth, Lee Van Cleef, Jerry Orbach, and Kevin Conway were considered for the role of Jerry, I'm sorry, Gary, and Richard Mulligan, who really resembles him an awful lot. Uh, was also considered when the production experimented with the idea of making the character closer to McCready in age. Richard Messer also read for Gary, but he uh, was asked to play Clark instead as he liked the character, the character's dialogue and was also a fan of dogs. Um, he worked daily with the wolf dog Jed and his handler Clint Rowe during rehearsals. Um, so there's a, a close relationship with uh, the, the, the dogs on set and Richard Messer since he was their handler in the film. Um, uh, Richard Messer also went um, uh, this is interesting he turned down a role in E.T. to play Clark um, and yeah that's yeah he felt he had he, 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 pretty so much a, a lot of the casting that you're speaking of I, I know a lot about so while we're on it let's, let's yeah. speak on it yeah that's why, that's why we wanted to do it this way for this episode um, so Monsieur, uh turned down the I believe um is it Peter Coyote? Who's who's the guy that shows up at the at the end of ET? Peter Coyote. Is it Peter Coyote? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I believe Masur turned down that role because he just felt he'd get a little bit more meat, a little bit more screen time, make a little bit more traction. Right. You know, with this role. Maybe he was cast one of the teachers. I don't know. I don't I don't have all my wires. But you know the Harrison role. Ford role? <laughs> yeah, right, right. There you go. Um, I when when I read that that Brian Dennehy was up for the role of Copper, that was kind of cool. Like, like is it a 
uh, um, a cocoon resemblance with Wilford Brimley and well, Brian Dennehy. Not, not so much that. Not so much that. But like, I felt like I might have been able to connect to the character just a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. um, not to take anything away from Dysart as you know a performer, but I just I, I feel like if some of those lines been delivered by Brian Dennehy. Right. There'd have been a little bit more impact as to their, as his relationship and camaraderie with Mac. Because let's face it, you know, when we look at it, when we look back on it, like Mac's closest friend on the base is probably Doc Copper. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. If before if before yeah, we get right. to, you know, the whole you know, invasion, if you will, who do you think because you know, Mac's just hanging up there in his shack drinking his J and B until he needs a helicopter. But who do you think he, you know, pals around with out of that whole dysfunctional crew? Definitely not Palmer smoking his spliffs. Definitely not Windows with his weird fucking spears. My honest answer would be no one. He's a loner. True. But if if he were to have some point, he's playing, you know, chess against the computer. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. That's all. That's that's. Um, and then, yeah, we had we had Mulligan, like you said, was up for the role of of Captain Gary, and I read that. And like, resembles that's pretty Moffitt. Cool. He really yeah. does resemble Donald Moffat quite a bit, especially yeah. you know back in that day with the the part. Of the and era. I get it the the whole age thing, right? You know, so, right. Um, and what else? Um, the the um, uh, Jay Leno would have been funny. So these guys, so I, I read, that, I read that they were all up God. for it. They were up for the, for the part of Palmer, yeah. Jay Leno, Gary Shanley. I can't see Shanley pulling it off. No. Because it would have been, it may have come across a bit. Charles Flesher, yeah, he's, because he's got a horror background. So it wouldn't have been that different. I mean, this would have been his first horror. But role. I'm also looking at them playing the legitimate stoner role. But again, I remember them like in their coked up '80s phase when I was a kid. As well, it's not like TK Carr is like resembling Jay, you know, like from Jay and Silent Bob in this movie. True, you know, he's just rolling around on skates, man. Yeah, yeah. he's more like Roller Girl from Boogie Nights than anything else. <laughs> I mean, if check me if I'm well, wrong, Sandy, but the LL Cool J <laughs> character from Deep Blue Sea was pretty much crafted off of. T.K. Carter's character of Knowles. From that you could movie. say yeah. that, actually. Now that yeah. I never made the comparison, but you're right. You, yeah, you could be on the side. What kind of comparison is that? But yes, you're correct. He's right, though. <laughs> it's, 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 it's spot-on comparison. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week, gang. This is why they have <laughs> yeah, me on the Yeah, pat yourself on the back, fucko. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so let's... Anything else before we wrap up casting and move on to production? Anything else you guys want to add? Now, judging by your silence, Windows we, Tom Waits, not to be confused with Tom Waits. I know, drop the E. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so let's move on to production then. Production of the movie. Are you talking about the Fox from the Warriors? <laughs> no, no, the, the, the musician. He, yes. he did one of the iterations of yeah, Bob the Wire. Yeah, but plays Windows. He's got to plays Fox from the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but we're talking about Tom Waits, the actor and the. Musician. We're talking about Tom Waits, right? There's Who's a musician. He does the way down in the whole one of the seasons of The Wire. The yeah, but about Tom Waits, the guy that got himself thrown off in a train track because he didn't want Walter Hill no more. Uh, yeah, when he was filming The Warriors. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you see what I did there? 
Yes, no, I do. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm confused about Tom Waits versus Tom Waits. It's, I like, right. look, I'm a big Tom Waits fan, but I also like Tom Waits' work. Okay, so the development of the film began in the mid-70s when producers David Foster and Lawrence Terman suggested to Universal Pictures an adaptation of the 1938 John W. Campbell novella, Who Goes There? It had been closely adopted once before in Howard Hawke's uh, 1951 film, The Thing from Another World, but Foster and Thurman and Terman wanted to develop a project that stuck more closely to the source material. Um... So they got the rights. In 76, uh, Wilbur Stark had purchased the remake rights to 23 RKO Pictures films, including The Thing from Another World. Um, from three Wall Street financiers who did not know what to do with them in exchange for a return when the films were produced. Uh, Universal, in turn, acquired the right to remake the film from Stark, resulting in him being given an executive producer credit on all print advertisements, posters, television commercials, and studio press material. So, for those at home who are trying to keep up with the story here, so the film was... There was a novella in 38. The rights to it were bought by Universal Pictures in 1976. Uh, I'm sorry. In 1976, they were bought by this novice company, um who bought the rights to this and 22 other projects from the same company. Um, and then three... It was like a masquerade. Three like, people hey, who were in charge of handling it, didn't know what they were doing, basically uh, exchanged them for, you know, a, a, a return and, and the, the, the money, the profit. Uh, just that, you know, just they, they'll get a little something back once the film comes out and makes its money. Um, so, yeah. Universal, you know... They were pretty much fat, fast-paced this, to be honest with you. Uh, they, they first approached Carpenter um, in 1976 about the film by co-producer and friend Stuart Cohen. But Carpenter was mainly an, aver- an, uh, an independent film director, so Universal chose the Texas Chainsaw Massacre director Toby Hooper as they already had him under contract. The producers were ultimately unhappy with Hooper and his writing partner, Kim Henkel's concept. Yeah, they delivered some weird-ass pitch, man. I read I, I read about that pitch last night. I can't remember exactly all the details, but it was just bonkers. And they had various failed pitches from them and, and, and from other directors, including John Landis. Um, Ridley Scott got involved in this before, two years later, Carpenter saw success in a little-known indie film called Halloween, and they were like, oh, we remember that guy we were trying to approach. Let's try again. Uh, So Carpenter was reluctant to join the project at first. (coughs) Sorry. Carpenter was reluctant to join the project, for he thought Hawk's adaptation would be difficult to surpass, although he considered the film's monster to be unnotable. Cohen suggested that he read the original novella, Carpenter found the creepiness of the imitations conducted by the creature and the questions it raised interesting. He drew parallels between the novella and Agatha Christie's mystery novel, and then there were none, and noted that the story of Who Goes There was timely for him, meaning he could make it his true, uh, true to his day, as Hawks had in his time. Pause, because Agatha Christie, this film 
plays like an Agatha Christie novel very well. Like very, I'm watching it, and, and yes, you know, it's it's like kind of like watching a, a, a fucked up version of um, Murder in the Morning Express. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Speaking out loud. Sorry, gentlemen. So Carpenter, a fan of Hulk's adaptation, paid homage to it in Halloween, and he watched the thing from another world several times before inspiration for inspiration before filming began. Carpenter and cinematographer Dean Cundy, who first worked together on Halloween, um had the, had him line up for the thing as their first big budget project for a major film studio. Um, Think from another world is what they're watching on television in Halloween. Correct. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, initially, Universal set the budget for ten million dollars, with two hundred grand of it coming for coming uh, set aside for creature effects, which at the time was more than the studio had ever allocated to a monster film. They're like monster movies cost us two hundred, and they gave them ninety eight days. They gave them three months and and two hundred thousand dollars. Right. Freezing conditions. And- yeah. Right. <laughs> Figure out how to do it. These we never spent more than this on these before. Uh apparently no, the originally scripted death of Bennings was estimated to cost one point five million dollars alone. Holy Ooh. shit. <laughs> um basically Robotine needed a raise and he was allotted seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the effects. So that two hundred went up way high. It like tripled more or less. I mean, let's face it, latex and, you know, glucose, they cost money. Worth it. You know, I think so. I, I see where the money went. Yeah. I ain't mad at where the money got spent. Goddamn uh, movie's almost 40 years old and we're still talking about it. So all in so all, yeah, all, spent. all, in all yeah. the thing had a budget of $11.4 million and indirect costs brought it to $14 million. The effects budget ran over, eventually totaling one point five mil, totaling one point five million, forcing the elimination of some scenes, including Null's confrontation of a creature dubbed the Box Thing. By the end of production, Carpenter had to make a personal appeal to executive Ned Tannen for a hundred grand to complete a simplified version of the Blair Thing. The final cost was twelve point four million, and overhead costs brought it to fifteen million. Simplified version of the Blair thing. Jesus. Yeah. What were they originally? <laughs> I know, playing? I know. <laughs> Probably a lot of animatronics or something. Yeah. There was a lot of stop motion going on and they just didn't have the time or the money to get it right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why we don't have, you know, you know, the box thing, which is Blair coming coming up out of a box to assimilate nulls. You know, like he just comes up from out of ground after you know, fucking up Captain Gary. Um, and he came up and, you know, started bringing Nulls in, and it would have cut ultimately to the whole earthquake scene, if you will, with McCready and the, and the floorboards. Um, so I think that's where they're, what they're talking about is a simplified version because they wanted to do it as practical as they could, but some had to be done animatronically based on scope and scale, if you will. And, Obviously, the studio wasn't giving away more money yeah. to do it. So, you're like, um, get it done with what you got to get it done with. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I take a moment and go into the history of the story itself? I want you to. Go for it. All right. So, Who Goes There uh, was originally published in the August 1938 issue of Astounding Science Fiction Magazine. 
Uh, it was written by John W. Campbell Jr., mm-hmm. um, but he published it under the name Don A. Stewart. It was uh, a common pseudonym of his at that point. He was also the editor of Astounding Science Fiction Magazine at the time, so that may have played a part in that decision. Okay. Um, it was loosely based off of and loosely inspired by an earlier work of his uh, called Brain Stealers from Mars, which was written in an imitation style of a popular author at the time named Stanley Weinbaum. Um, and that's kind of that. That's that's where that story went. We know there were movies made and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Campbell was a uh, very influential author at the time, and as far as science fiction goes, even more influential as an editor working with Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. tons of other people. He kind of shaped, helped shape modern science fiction the way we look at it today. Um, so there's a guy, I forget his name. He was working on a, a book half autobiography or half biography, half uh, sort of not documentary, whatever it would be. It's in book form. Narrative? Yeah, sort of. But uh, um, basically detailing uh, Campbell's influence over science fiction. And he was going through his papers uh, um, and he found a letter in which it made mention that Campbell had sent a lot of his, well, all of his manuscripts to Harvard University. So he said, hey, uh, I, I should go check that stuff out, see if it's still there. So he goes in, uh, goes to Harvard. Well, no, he sent an assistant to Harvard and had them find it and scan everything and send it to him. And in there, he found a story titled Frozen Hell which is the early manuscript extended of who goes there. Mm. Um, so it's a fair bit longer. It's like an overpeat, right. if you will. Well, no, it was a fully fleshed out story. This was discovered in 2018. In 2019, it was published. And then in 2020, uh, it was announced that they are remaking the thing under that Going by that version, the Frozen Hell version. So, where was it like discovered? Like in a Harvard archive. It was just huh. a brief note in one of Campbell's letters to an associate, a guy that was trying to get hold of some of his earlier manuscripts for a collection that he was doing. And he was like, "I'm sorry, I don't have anything. I sent it all over to Harvard." Okay. So he went digging, and all the stuff was still there. Just in a box. In paper form? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, absolutely. It was, you know, from the 30s. Yeah. That's why I didn't know if the papyrus began to... Yeah. They they found several stories. Uh, They found some stories by Campbell's wife, who apparently was an exceptional author as well. Um, Yeah, this extended version of Who Goes There was found. And now that's being adapted. So essentially, we're going to be experiencing a... 
a remake of this film or it's still in pre-production last I saw it's so. going to be a while yeah because well, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, just now reading about this myself yeah we're, we're ways, about it from you yeah we're a ways out from it but it's going to be more bigger thorough. stronger more it sounds like more like thorough I, I feel more maybe not bigger more stronger. CGI probably that's, and that's and therein is where I'm going to have an issue yeah because I, I really what sells effects. what sells this thing for me is that Especially, I don't know. Practical effects are becoming more abundant in the modern day. I feel like people have as well they, as well they, as well they should. Yeah, for sure. As That's what well I'm saying. I feel should. like people are starting to Put realize their wrongs of CGI. Where yeah, it was really cool when we could do it, but it doesn't look good. So Ooh, why would we out. do Put it? Put that money where it's worth. Give these yeah. give these guys working with latex and. Not to mention, it's so much cheaper to do practical effects than to do CGI. Oh, and there are exceptional artists out there. Well, speaking of practical effects and whatnot, let's talk about the next thing on the one here is uh, Rob Bottin and the effects makeup overall since he was in charge of that. So, I'm just going to go down and, and list off some of the highlights of this man's career. So, started back in 76, King Kong, which is... Jeff Bridges. Underrated. Yeah. Swinging it Jessica back Lennon. around. Jeff Bridges. Charles, Charles Grodin. Exactly. Um, Ed Lauer. So there's a bunch of... Um, he was uncredited in that, right? Jessica Lange. So I said that already. You said Jessica Lange? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you said Jessica no, I must I, have I, fell asleep. I'm, I was so, about to say, I definitely did not hear you say Jessica Lange. I said after you said uh, Jeff Bridges. Um, so he did the work on uh, Piranha. Uh, for um, really? yeah, Roger Corman. Thank you, Corman. That's what I was thinking of. Speaking of Corman, and run over the following year, he did work on Rock and Roll High School, and then he Jack gained Black. a relationship with John yeah, Carpenter yeah. and did uh, the Fall. And did you ever the, heard of Rock and Roll High School? I guess not. I don't think it's school. Yeah, 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 no, Rock and Roll High School was about this girl gets from Ramones and played her her fucking senior prom. And That's then, okay. and uh, then a year. And then a year later, he would, you know, start working with uh, Carpenter, starting with The Fog. Uh, then back to Corman with Humanoids from the Deep. Uh, then The Howling. Yes. The Thing. Yes. So let's just ask this question now since we're talking about Boteen. Uh, Boteen versus Stan Winston. Go. Who has the better transformation scene? Is it. Oh. Boutine and the Howling from 81, or is it uh, um, American Werewolf? We're American Werewolf. American Werewolf is the yeah. greatest transformation scene, period. Yeah. I, I got to go with American So, Werewolf. real quick, I just want to say that. Just throw it out. That, that, so, I'm going to say I that. I feel like you've never seen the Howling. No, I've seen the Howling. Let me tell you, I've seen the Howling, but no. American Werewolf from fucking. I mean, not, not Winston. I'm sorry. I'll. Forgive me. I'm, I'm thinking of another film. Not Winston. Rick Baker. No need. No. No disrespect. No. No disrespect. My apologies. My deepest apologies. Rick Baker. Not. Um. Stan Winston. Okay, so that's why I was going to say that was a loaded question because it wasn't Winston. It was Baker. It's Baker. Um, Rick Baker did. I. I. I slightly lean more in with you guys with the you know American werewolf scene. 
Um, as far as Stan Winston's concerned, that was Batine's mentor anyway. So an extension of what Winston would be doing is what Batine was doing at the time. Um, as far as that, that howling transformation. Now, granted, I've only seen the howling. Team howling. Now, there was a TV show in the 80s, maybe early Werewolf. 90s. Werewolf. Yeah. Yes. Kind of. Uh, Do you ever see it? It was kind of. No. Um, yeah, I remember it. It, it was about this guy. You know, he turns into a werewolf. Uh, and it's done sort of in um, uh, the old Incredible Hawk TV show. Kind right. of that style. This guy traveling around the country. Right, right. Uh, like he's, he, you know, he's a drifter. You, you won't like me when the moon's full. Right. Um, <laughs> but in the pilot. The one of the transformation scenes in that is so fucking good. Um, the bad guy is sitting there, and, you know, he's got an eye patch. He like pulls it off, and you see this like wolf eye starting to come out, and he just starts like peeling off his his skin, and he like he opens his mouth, and this maul starts just pushing its way out, splitting his face, and it was really cool. And I can't believe they put it on TV. Um, what is it? It was a TV show called Werewolf. Unfortunately, I believe all of the copies of it were lost in a studio fire. It sounds like mm-hmm. something ABC would have put out for like half a season. Like ABC yeah, and freeform. I, I think it was 12 or 14 episodes, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then was canceled and then burned down. <laughs> That's yeah. a shame. Uh, so then Boutine would... Help out with some effects work on the uh, Twilight Zone film. The Witches of Eastwick, Legend, Legends. The Explorers, Inner Space, Robocop, and Robocop 2, Total Recall. He did work on Bugsy for um, uh, Warren, Beatty. Warren Beatty. Thank you. Basic Instinct, Robocop 3, 7, last week's film. Yeah. Mission Impossible, Diploma, Mimic, Deep Rising, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Fight Club, Mr. Deeds, Serving Sarah, and Game of Thrones. Um, Mr. Deeds. So you... (laughs) You would. I do. Thanks for the lift, Deeds. Um, Huh? This is a paracultural. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I mean, legend. Everyone knows. He met... Yeah, Ridley Scott. So, some notes here that I learned from doing my research. Botine met uh, John Carpenter through uh, Dean Cundy, who did the cinematography. Uh, In the fog, Botine provided the physical makeup effects. He was actually Captain Blake. I knew that as well. Just like Carpenter himself plays um, What's-His-Face in the beginning at the church. Um... He worked on The Thing seven days a week, including late nights, for a year and five weeks straight, producing every creature effect with the exception of the transformed dog, which was partially done by Stan Winston. Because um, he was, Bettine was suffering exhaustion at that point. According to the making of the documentary on the yeah, DVD, Stan, you know? the then 22-year-old schedule was so punishing and his attention to detail was so precise that after filming finished, he was hospitalized with exhaustion and uh, pneumonia. 
Yeah. Uh, although his work was at first criticized for being too gruesome or distracting from the film's psychological themes, it has since been credited for actually enhancing the feel of the film. In one scene in which a character's head stretches off, Poteen decided to melt plastic. Little did he know that the melted plastic released explosive paint thinner, so when the director decided to put flame under the camera lens, the entire prosthetic exploded. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, that was he went. He designed and built Robocop suit. He designed and built Robocop suit in Paul Verhoeven's Robocop and designed and built many striking visual effects in Verhoeven's Total Recall. The latter, which earned him a special achievement Academy Award. Is there anything else anyone wants to talk about involving Rob Boutine? Any questions about Rob Boutine? I think we covered his filmography pretty extensively. It speaks for itself, exactly. And, and the, I mean, the, 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 the yeah, I didn't have to keep going. Know. I could have just had this 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 section could have just been and me reading off his movies. I mean, and that's it. You got Curry DJs. and Legend is still it's, it's the one of same. my favorite. Lucifer, um, um, Bacchus, Bacchus, whatever. I've never seen him in Legend. So um, I just know the makeup. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it. yeah. You know, everyone knows it. That that. Image is Not that this is iconic. Like, yeah, that's still the best devil uh, mm-hmm. I have ever seen. I mean, look at what this guy did just now with this film. At twenty-two years old, and you know, yeah. he's working. He's working one hundred fifty, two hundred hours a week. You know, talk about drive towards your dream is drive for your craft. This guy got it done. He was inspired by one of the best. I mean, Stan Winston. You know, this yep. is up there with Baker and Savini and Nicotero and, you know, Berger and Curtin. And then finally, um, I'm not going to really hold on to this topic for that long. I just want to briefly mention um, Ennio Marconi, who did the, the music. He did the film score. Carpenter wanted the thing to have a European musical approach. Carpenter flew to Rome to speak with Marconi to convince him to take the job. By the time Marconi flew to Los Angeles to record the score, he had already developed a tape filled with an array of synthesizer music because he was unsure what type of score Carpenter wanted. Remember, gang, Carpenter is a huge synthesizer kind of uh, a synthesizer fan. Yeah. Uh, most of his, pretty much all of his score is done on the synthesizer. I had a note I didn't really talk about when I was going down the plot, but the opening theme song during the credits, it sounds like it's taken straight out of Halloween 3. Straight out of Halloween 3. With him and um, Alan Howarth, which I'm reading here, um, they did separate uh, styled pieces for the film that were both used uh, separately. So, uh, Marconi wrote complete separate orchestral and synthesizer scores and a combined score, which he knew was Carpenter's preference. Carpenter picked the piece, closely resembling his own scores that became the main theme used throughout the film. He also played the score from Escape from New York for Marconi as an example. Marconi made several more attempts, bringing the score closer to Carpenter's own style of music. In total, Marconi produced a score of approximately one hour that remained largely unused but was still but was later released as part of the film's soundtrack. Carpenter and his longtime collaborator Alan Howarth Separately, I just said that already. They they did pieces separately. Um, in a 2012 interview, Marconi recalled, 
I've asked Carpenter as he was preparing some electronic music with an assistant to edit on the film. Why did you call me if you want to do it on your own? He surprised me. He said, I got married to your music. This is why I've called you. Then when he showed me the film, later when I wrote the music, he didn't exchange ideas. He ran away, nearly ashamed of showing it to me. I wrote the music on my own without his advice. Naturally, as I had become more clever since 1982, naturally, as I had become quite clever since 1982, I have written several scores relating to my life. And I had written one, which was completely, which was electronic music. And Carpenter took the electronic music. Carpenter said, Maricone did all the orchestrations and recorded for me 20 minutes of music I could use whenever, wherever I wish, but without seeing any footage. I cut his music into the film and realized that there were places, mostly scenes of tension, in which his music did not work. I secretly ran off and recorded it in a couple of days, a few pieces to use. My pieces were very simple, electronic pieces. It was almost toned. It was not really music at all, but just background sounds. Something today you might even consider as sound effects. Um, John Carpenter does his own music, correct? Yes. Yeah. And that's why this is kind of baffling that he would get world-renowned in the Ennio Marconi to do this. This is the guy that Tarantino fought to get for several films that finally nabbed him for Hateful Eight. Because he originally turned down Django Unchained, even though parts of his score is inserted in there from Marconi's from Tarantino he's, doing he's himself. A lot of your spaghetti western. He was a spaghetti he's western guy. Yeah. Um, so like There's that whole one. like high pitched almost like yeah, your, you know, your, your original Django film and stuff like that, you know, he would do that. Sure. So, and then not a sci-fi guy at all. Carpenter wanted them because, the, again, this film has a Western feel and he wanted that Western music to accommodate yeah, so Mar- that. Marconi's guy you would get to for that because he, he... Normally, he would not get him for a film like this. Yeah, nor would he agree to a film like and, this. And the way the guy composes, like, you know, a bit of a solo of a trumpet, if you will, playing some high notes. Sure. Speak up. <clears throat> that might well, sound like a trumpet player. No, I'm sorry. Uh, he's a trumpet player. Well, so yeah, so he would use you know he would use a lot of like high trumpet notes in his score, but he would also like string them out and space them out so they would there wouldn't be, you know, it, it, it was a slow score that built a feel for these westerns. I mean, you've seen, oh yeah, you know, the, the Man with No Name trilogy, right? Yes. So that's any of Marconi, all that stuff you've heard okay. there. That's Marconi. All right. Let's bring it up. The Thing, 2011. Has anyone in this, this roundtable here, have any of you guys seen the, the prequel? The I've King never Man? even heard of it until you said something. No. Mm, never bothered. So I'm the only person of the four of us who's, who has seen the prequel. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of have to take you through Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, is it look, good? is it bad? Well, it it sets up the, fir- the, the first. It sets up the Carpenter one pretty intelligently. I, I like the way it's pretty clever. The way they set it up and tie it in uh, the movie, the film's ending to the opening of Carpenter's. Now, the biggest gripe that I have, and that's pretty much everyone who's seen the film's gripe as well, is the decision to go CG. Yeah, I've heard. See, that's why... Well, there's a story behind it because the film actually 
when when they filmed it, they used practical effects, the whole thing, just like they had. They didn't have Rob Bottin, obviously, but they had an effects artist who did practical makeup, just like Rob Bottin did for the Carpenter original. And Universal went, eh, and they pretty much covered it up with CG. That was a product. That was a studio call, not the filmmakers, um, which always happens. Unfortunately, I don't get it. There's nothing wrong with you know practical effects. You know, yeah, it's a but, shame, man. It's a damn shame because for line. a good 10, 15 years, because you know, thanks to George Lucas, unfortunately, uh, it was like accepted, right? It's preferred, if you um, right? Pretty much the majority of the cast are just unknown actors, with the exception of the lead, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, Joel Edgerton's in it, and also you might recognize Eric Christian Olsen, who's in it from um. A lot of comedies back around the time. He was in the film Cellular. He was in that other teen movie. He was in Dumb and Dumberer. Um, oh, yeah. No. Oh, God. And also, you guys probably know Christoph Hibju. I think that's his name. That's how you pronounce it. Hibju. The, this guy from Game of Thrones who played um, Tur- Tormund. Tor- the guy who played oh, yeah, Tormund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's in the, the thing. Um, pretty cool. Tormund Giants, man. Um, he's in the, okay yeah I would see yeah. I could see him playing one of those and you know it's basically the same thing as Carpenters but with a new set of characters that's, and, and, that's, and that's what I heard and that's why I avoided it was because it, it, it went CG over practical and the only thing I was going to give a shit about is the last couple of minutes much like Ridley Scott's Prometheus which you can just look up on Google right so I don't but, hate Prometheus though I don't either. I don't. I don't. I got it right over there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. I mean, mean, personally, I've never watched it next to, you know, Carpenter's The Thing. I'd like to, I guess, at some point. So you have to take that challenge. Um, But yeah, it's it's whatever. You know, I'm not going to. You can live a life without watching 2011 is the thing. It's not going to, you know... Hey, so I'm going to put it to you like this. If it don't cost me more than, let's say, $3 to rent on Prime on an afternoon when I still have access to your copy of you Carpenter's s- movie, like, can I make a day out of it and be like, all right, here's 4 bucks. I'm going to start the morning off with The Thing 2011. Sure. And then second wave. And I'm not going to be even mad at the first half of my day. Because I feel like I would be. But then don't, don't watch it. It's that huh. simple. Well, what, You're that's overthinking not already. That's, that's I'm not just going to see how they dovetail. I'm not trying to sell the audience on the 2011 thing. I could give two shits if you watch it or not, honestly. Right. If anything, I'm trying to sell you on Carpenters, which yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're listening still to this episode, then you're a fan. Uh, that being said... Let's get down to some categories that we do each week and open up the inbox. Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? So I'll let people know that we're recording the th- the, an episode on The Thing. Let them know that we wanted to hear from them. Ask them how it stacks up against other remakes and uh, how they like it uh, as opposed to other Carpenter films. All in all, I just wanted to hear from the audience like I do every, every week when we record new episodes. First up, uh, we got a response from Nick Brownneller. What did you say? That look I give when I hear what's coming from these guys. Yes, this is a creepy. It, no, yes, this is a great remake on par for 80s creepy. 
and he got a gif of McCready and others. Uh, that's 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 Nick Brown Eller, who's been on the show. Oh, I, I, Our number I one fan. That. Yeah, you're, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> number Nick's one a, fan, Nick yeah, Brunella. Yeah, Nick's big on the show, man. Big on the show. Uh, Josh, for your next favorite movie, says gotta be the greatest remake of all time, and it's my number one Carpenter flick. Those Rob Bottin effects still hold up. On a side note, my dream double in a theater is this paired with the Hateful Eight. I call it a Russell in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Can we can we actually well debate about that in the 1980s as far as remakes go of old 50s and 40s 30s 20s horror films? Do we think this is the best? Um, are we just sticking to horror films? Yeah, horror in particular. Yes, they were very please, abundant please. in the 80s. Well, I would throw the Blob in the dead hat. Yeah, um, the, blob, uh, the Fly, the, the Fly, the Fly. I think the Fly is pulling a much closer second than I think than the Blob is definitely. That's so that's fair. I don't know. I don't want to overthink it either. Yeah, so. those would be about the only three I could even keep up in there. And the, and, and the blobs having a hard time pulling in the bronze. To be honest. Friend of the podcast, Carlo says as close to perfection as sci-fi horror film can get. From the ambience to the special effects to the sheer tension and paranoia it builds between the characters to top everything. You have that ambiguous ending, which is just perfect. And yes. Josh chimed in, saying, I beg to differ on the ambiguity of the ending. I'm curious to hear what the guys think. <laughs> well, <laughs> since you asked, Josh. Yeah. Um, and then Carlo chimed in, hmm, interesting. Who's the thing? Um, so let's go around Robin and, 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 and go, we'll start with you, Andrew. How do you interpret the ending? Yes, Sean and I kind of already answered this, but since Josh, you asked for it, brother. I mean, I do kind of agree with you two on, on the ending of it. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's. I so mean, no it's, one's, it's, no one's assimilated. Yeah, I don't think anyone's assimilated. I think it's pretty. I, I mean, you could interpret it however you want, but I don't think it's as open ended as what we, forty years later, seem to think. Okay. So you're not looking at like, oh, I can't see Childs' breath or, oh, we never see McCready. Because I, I read a theory last night that, you know, McCready's been using these J&B bottles as, as Molotov cocktails. So somebody posited a theory that like when McCready hands Childs the bottle of scotch to take a swig, Childs doesn't know the difference between the taste of scotch and kerosene. So he just drank you know, alcohol. So that proves but that I've heard that theory before, but you have, it's okay. just a fan theory that it's right. Really right. Boring. I'm saying it's, right. it's, it's grasping its straws. Right. The real question is, do you think that it was supposed to be an open-ended interpretation or do you think it is clear cut? I think the fans over the years made it open-ended. Yes, correct. I don't think that Carpenter had any intention to make it open-ended. I think he had a, a middle, a start, middle and end to his story and us as fans. One, everyone's a theorist. Everyone's got to have well, theories. Well, well then, then that being said, why does why does he give so much ambiguity to Charles for those last, let's call it, ten minutes of the film? I mean, he's nowhere to be seen. So naturally, he's he's taught the viewer to question was that those plan? that aren't. Is that is the Carpenter intentionally? I I don't read anything right. anywhere that shows anything other than. I'm you sticking know, to my final. I'm sticking to my original answer. Although 
I could throw a monkey wrench into everything and say, what if they're both assimilated? (laughs) They would know. (laughs) No, I know. I know. know. They would probably start squealing at each other. (laughs) The the original story (laughs) is... As the end of the film, with weird faces yelling at each other. That's that's how it is. snatchers just squeals out. (laughs) You see Charles like this goofy, like, (laughs) and McCready's like, (laughs) I want to hear what Ian had to say. Now, uh, obviously, I already gave my uh, opinion earlier. I don't think either of them have been assimilated. Um, However, in the original story, it is vague. Uh, because after they discover that Blair has been assimilated um, and take care of him, like one of the last, uh, in the last paragraph of the book, they see an albatross flying overhead and they're like, shit, Spring's here. Did it get to maybe that bird before? <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right. Did and it make it through the, through the fall? Yeah. No shit. So, since they left, since that was intentionally, something like that was intentionally left out, I think they even... Carpenter gotcha. had wanted that to be like the ending. Like that's this is it. And there's never been a sequel, even though exactly. it was, you know, a success. And how many Halloween sequels? Right, thank so Josh, do you still bait the differ? Thank God for that. So yeah, I I think they're I think they're both left just defeated and human at the end, because they are the two most alpha males in the base. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so of course they're gonna be your two lone surviving heroes at the end. And they're you're right. They're so you know broken and defeated due to malnutrition and just pure exhaustion that they have no choice but to sit out, wait for the fall, and hope the rescue helicopter shows up before one or both of them freezes to death. All right. Um, Nick also chimed in and said, "Top three, referring to this being anyone's top three uh, remakes." That's a hard one. Top ten, yes. Maybe top five. He's got some good ones. Um, so my brother? Yeah. Okay. And then Michael Doyle uh, responded, Masterpiece, plain and simple. And then someone, uh, the Lazy Stoic, said, I don't have a John Carpenter list, but it did make my list of best performances by Kurt Russell's hair. <laughs> no. And he's also got outside of Escape from New York. And, and on that list, on, on that list, he has Volume Two. He has Big Trouble Little China. jeez. Oh, he's got Overboard. He's got Escape <laughs> from New York. He's got a Executive Decision, Stargate, Captain Ron. Yes, Breakdown, Escape from L.A., Tango and Cash, and Soldier. Uh, let's start a let, let, let's let, let's start an eighty cover band called Kurt Russell's Mullet. <laughs> And now we know that it was his real hair because he spent yes, a year and a half He spent a while growing it out, exactly. We learned that from doing our research. Um, so, um, yeah, that's the inbox. Like I said, every week before we record an episode, I post about it on uh, Twitter. Just make sure you're following us on Twitter. That way you know. Uh, and it's going to be recording. at the Film Effect Pod. Thank you, Sean. All right, let's take a look at box office receipts. In the operational funds box. We will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. John Carpenter's The Thing was released on June 25th, June 25th, 1982 from Universal Pictures. It opened up across, it opened up on 840, stop that. It opened up on 840 screens, opening up to $3.1 million in eighth place. 
second weekend box office, only dropped a little bit. $2.9 million, also in eighth place. Total gross was $19.6 million against a budget of $15 million. Theatrically, original first run, lost money. Now, it opened up against Blade Runner, didn't it? It opened up it in the summer of 82, period. It opened up against Raiders of the Lost Ark. The reason I slapped my hand against the table is because that's Scott's birthday, June 25th. Hmm. So, Mine's the day after. Hey, there you go. So it, it's just funny that they yeah, just it had, it, it, iconic it, it, movies. There was a lot. There was, a lot, of, there was a lot of weight in the water. Like you a said, lot. About Conan. Yeah, yeah. Conan the Barbarian right. was out there. Yeah. So uh, 82, 82 was probably the biggest summer film. That was a cool. Let me tell you, it was a cool. It was a cool summer to be eight years old, boys. <laughs> let me tell you. So yeah, as long as your parents were cool with buying you a ticket to a movie you probably shouldn't see, <laughs> but that you was had a grand old summer. But that was initially over the years through Betamax, VHS, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, yeah. now 4K. This this movie's made its money back, and it was song. A, it, it yeah. became a home cult. It's not an overall. Failure for Universal. They don't frown upon this movie. In fact, I'd argue this is probably Universal's one of their most beloved films in their library. Hands down. Yes. Hands down. All right. Let's take a quick walk over to the Critics Corner. See what they had to say about the film real quick. Um, All right. So... All right, so Roger Ebert, let's start with Ebes. He considered the film to be scary, but offered nothing original beyond the special effects. While the New York Times' Vincent Canby said it was entertaining only if the viewer needed to see spider-legged heads and dog autopsies. Uh, New York's... I da- did. Da- now that you fucking mention it, I right, fucking did. Now I consider my interest peaked. Uh, the Chicago readers consider the dialogue to be... Been all and interchangeable. Been been all. Been all. And interchangeable, uh, making the characters seem and sound alike. Meanwhile, the Washington Post said it was a witty touch to open with the thing having already overcome the Norwegian base, defeating the type of trap seen in the 1951 version. Um. While New York's David Denby lamented that the thing's threat is only shown externally without focusing on what is like what it is like for someone who thinks that they have been taken over. Uh, let's see. Newsweek felt the film confused the uh, use of the effects with creating suspense and that it lacked drama by sacrificing everything at the altar of gore. What the fuck else did you want? I wish it was it's that your typical eighties genre it. film that it, you're, you're going to have critics who love it. You're going to have critics who hate it. You're going to have all knowledge in the middle, and, and, and that's what these kind of films were used. To, we're used to seeing these kind of receptions, guys. It's also nineteen eighty two, where everyone was like looking at it from like a like I'll, I'll give you I'll Halloween give you, or something like that. Or like I'll give you two more. Uh, Time magazine singled Russell out as the. Uh, Stalwart hero, while other where other characters were not as strongly or widely characterized. Variety said that Russell's heroic status was undercut by the suicidal attitude adapted from the films toward the film's finale. 
Other reviews criticized implausibilities, such as characters wandering off alone. Um, the effects were simultaneously lauded and lambasted for being technically brilliant, but repu- but visually repulsive and excessive. We knew that was going to happen. That's what reviews called both teams work genius, noting the designs were novel, uh, unforgettable, colorfully horrific, and called him a master of the macabre. I mean, this movie wasn't made for my meme or my people, man. Well, uh, when it was released in 82, and they're sitting here reviewing it, they don't really have much to base off of. They were probably just like, oh, Aliens, chest burster, scanners, head explosion. Right. They had stuff to compare it to, definitely. Right. But not on a major level, though. The way that we do, you know, 40 years later, talking about this movie. I mean, this film had way more impactful scenes than those movies did. And here's a film that we've spent hours talking about, but we have not mentioned this other film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I just mentioned it when we talked about that. We've mentioned it multiple times, yeah. Yeah. I meant doing, okay, well, you know, compared to that. Snatchers with with Goldblum and Nimoy and Karen Allen. Yeah, so. Fucking Nimoy. (laughs) Nimoy. All right, biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I'm not going first for this one. I didn't even write anything down for my biggest takeaway because I kind of already said them throughout the episode. So, Andrew, would you go first for this one? How not? I mean, you know, given the fact that I didn't watch it until like 2001, my biggest takeaway in 2001 when I saw it because, you know, I, I when I watched it the other day, I didn't really think to myself, like, holy shit, what blew me away? But, you know, putting me in the perspective of when I saw it when I was young, like, just the the practical effects were fantastic for a horror film, no doubt. Yeah. You know, I feel like Star Wars opened the door, but John Carpenter completely solidified how gnarly you could be with a horror film with the, mm-hmm. with the effects of it, especially the spider dogs. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that and go next. Uh, yeah, the effects are just phenomenal. They're superb. The acting is, um, the, the actors do a great job of making you feel, you know, um, the, the seclusion, uh, the, 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 um, the fear, paranoia. For. Paranoia, thank you. Fear, paranoia. Uh, they do a, a great job at, at selling that effect for the audience. Um, Carpenter took chances and it paid off. Um, it's, it's a ballsy film. Uh, Overall, one of the best. There's a reason we're sitting here 40 years later praising it to a T. It is the classic that we claim it is. Um, many will agree. Um, what, what, what's that saying? Um, often duplicated, never replicated, or some whatever. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just it's as as the cool kids from the mid 90s would say. It's all that in a bag of potato chips. So, Sean, why don't you go next, and we'll wrap it up with Ian. Um, again, it's, it's like the not only the level of effects that Batine achieves in this film. Um, I look, I look a little deeper into that. The fact that the kid was again twenty two, twenty three years old, figuring out how to do this shit, 
making a name for himself with a drive towards a dream. The fact that he got to keep so much of it on screen without the camera cutting away. Like that was a, that had to be a fight between, you know, between Cundy, Carpenter, and whoever edited this film. Like they, there had to be some pushback with like, no, we need to keep the camera here. Look at what this kid just did. You know, so. You know, and then, then the FCC, like, <laughs> like we, no we're way. gonna we're gonna stamp you with an X rating. Let's see how far you get because this film teeters that line, man. That's like yeah. and, yeah. and and yeah. So we while, while we all talk about the effects, but we talk about that. What I want to look at is is the effects for the time, the place, and the money. Like this kid pulled it off, and it's believable. The only thing I had a hard time wrapping my head around, and I, you know, blinked and thought again, was Norris's face stretching apart. You know right after the autopsy scene. Yeah. You know, other than that, I was a firm fucking believer in it right up until last night watching it for my first time in 4K. So, yeah, it's it's hands down Batine's early work with his craft. Like, you knew you were on the verge of watching a career just emerge here. You know, it's top-notch okay. stuff. Ian? This movie excels so well at everything that it tries to do that I find it hard to believe that John Carpenter wasn't interested in doing this at first um, because a lot of work and a lot of detail was put into this. Like he went all in eventually and um, it shows. And there's a reason why it has had such an impact on sci-fi horror and especially uh, more claustrophobic um, survivor situations that, uh, uh, we've discussed it's influenced all of them yeah it's it's had such an impact on uh sci-fi and horror and sci-fi horror it's you know there's no doubt that this movie will always be considered legendary classic it's it's a masterpiece yeah and uh it shows that like a very simple score is uh, sometimes more effective than, you know, a big orchestral setup yep. and just those dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that, 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 it's just I, one I, note. I, I, you know like I and I, it's been a long yeah. time since I remember to show this film to somebody for their first time to at least relive cathartically through that. I, I, I got to show it to my wife for the first time. No shit, uh, a couple months ago. Really? Yeah. Was she? Yeah, nice. I just met her. She seemed to be a sweet lady. I mean, she, I was, she is. <laughs> she, she, was she, uh, she's not a big horror person until yeah. recently. Uh, I, I've slowly been converting her, and uh, yeah, oh. she enjoyed it. Yeah, very good. Very Very good. I hadn't watched this film in about about fifteen fucking years until I watched it the other day. And when I watched it, I was like, "Damn, everything about this is not the same that it was when I had my first eyes on it years ago." Right. Yeah, but it still works. Oh yeah, it's it. it, I appreciated it so much more, especially when you think about how creative John Carpenter is. Like he makes his own score. He does his own. You know, he obviously directs the film. You know, I'm sure he has a helpful mm-hmm. hand in writing the film. Like, yeah. it is his work of art. It's obviously pulled from another work of art, but, like, it's still his work of art from that, you know, from the movie perspective. 
So very good. It's a mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? I'm not touching this. It's already the perfect sci-fi horror classic. There's a reason this film is so universally praised, and I wouldn't change a fucking thing about it. It's the perfect sci-fi classic in my eyes. So, easy peasy for me. Next... Um, Kurt Russell should have grew the mullet out more. (laughs) Give that man another seven months. Give more hair. um, Do you have one, Andrew? No, not really. Okay, honestly, Um, (laughs) I'm 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 with Ian on here. We didn't need the spaceship crash at the beginning. Just like pick it right up, especially coming in not knowing that you know, not knowing about the thing from another world, not knowing about who goes there. The average viewer. I think the only other thing I could say falls hand in hand with that, even though I don't speak Norwegian, is mix up that dude's dialogue in the beginning so even native Norwegian speakers don't figure it out right away. Because on average, 98% of the, the viewing public in, 80, in, in 1982 had their fucking hair blown back with the twist in this. So yeah, 86, that spaceship crashing, and I'm good. Can you imagine a Norwegian premiere? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I Altist were they? I will right? take my mulligan. I will take my mulligan back. If I had a mulligan moment, I would say say one of my favorite aspects of John Carpenter is obviously he makes his own music. There's no like classic fucking song that immediately rings to your head when you think of the thing. You don't this, need it. Are you seriously? I think his Carpenter thing is pretty iconic, but personally. Then again, I listen to I listen to Carpenter's music on my free time in the car and also. But there's nothing that just jumps out to, like, I guess the average person or whatever, like gotcha. the way that Halloween does or something like that. Or gotcha. Like, All right. It's but it's, 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 it works yeah, like it's just moving in atmosphere. All right. It's a finger licking good. <laughs> finger licking good. So for me, it's a blood test scene uh, because you get the famous CPR scene right before it, along with the spider head. And for the intensity and for the uncomfortableness of it, that's what I love so much. That uh, it just that comes from the scene. It's the the film's highlight, in my opinion, and still manages to legit scare slash make me jump every time I watch it. Next, favorite moment. Jumping. Uh, Anyone? Finger looking good for me. I'm gonna go. It's it's about a nine to twelve minute sequence, but falls right in line. Everything from the moment that Norris is brought into that infirmary right after his heart attack, mm-hmm. which ultimately leads into the blood testing. Yeah. And so my finger looking good moment is that, let's call it 12 minutes of Norris being brought into the infirmary and the play out of blood testing, tension, practical effects, action, reveal, up yep. until, you know, Palmer's death. So what is that? Maybe 15 minutes or let's call it the second half of Act 3. Mm-hmm. That That's my finger looking good. Is from Norris in the infirmary to Palmer's or Windows ultimate, ultimate demise. Like that whole sequence. It's just, that's what's memorable. And that's what, right. that's, that's Botine's effects reel at the Oscars. I'll double back to it. Um. You know, I love the special effects, obviously, but the ending of the film, and I understand that we just, like, kind of, like, you know, pushed it to the side, like, 
you know, it, it doesn't have as open-ended as we think it is, but it is kind of open-ended. So, like, all through the years of watching it, you know, I've only seen it, like, four or five times in my life. But every time I watch it, it's like one of those, is it open-ended? I don't think it is. Like, when I really double down and think about it, I don't think it is. But is it? You know what I mean? I, I like, the it ending. It depends on you as a viewer where you're at. Yeah. Where you're at in relation to the story, where you're at. Yeah, you're for sure. Of mind, it depends on, it really depends on how exactly. much you love the film or right. don't love the film. Right. That's how much did it really you, cares. Did you, did you dislike the sudden turn? against McCready when he had the dynamite and the flair. Yeah. So maybe you're going to say like McCready's a Like if you're a diehard fan yeah. of the film, you're going to sit there and rack it up in your mind over and over. But if it's something that you that came and went, you're just going to be like, okay, it's not as open-ended as everyone makes it out to yeah. be. Personally, I don't think it's it, it. I don't think it is as open-ended because you know it's like forty years ago. I don't well, think John Carpenter. It's created a forty-year discussion. Correct. And yeah. people are still on the fence yeah. as to whether or not. They, I mean, this isn't his decorative wrap. The fact that we have this discussion yeah. about the discussion is enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's not as decorative replicant. You know, we're yeah. still trying to figure that out. Um. God, every scene in this movie is good. Uh, I'm. I'm going to go with the dog scene in the kennel um, when the thing is first truly revealed. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you see the car comes back and seems like just the, the, the one yeah. dog covered in the, the acid stuff. Yeah, covered, covered in the That's acid. That's something that sticks and, in your nightmares for like ever. Uh, <laughs> and then it opens itself up and you see like various sets of eyes on the inside and the red thing. And some, some of them are not yeah, dog eyes. Exactly. Some of them are human I eyes. I that too this time watching it. Yep. Um, and then uh, Kurt Russell hears the dogs bang in the, calls in the background. Calls the flamethrower and all. And yeah. he slams the uh, uh, fire alarm and uh, sets off the alarm to the, to the camp. Calls for Charles to get, to get the flamethrower. He grabs a shotgun. Uh, he and Gary go in and, and unload on it. Eventually, child shows up. He's like, "Man, what are you doing?" And he just sits there and stares at the thing for a little bit until that second or third mouth that or whatever opens up. And, that opens up on and, him. and looks like it starts to lunge at him. Then he finally cuts loose. He tries mm-hmm. kicking the door in, and he opens back up and kicks it again. It's yeah, such a, it's such a great scene. All right, so final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. We'll just, I'll start, go like we've been doing, just round robin, count or uh, clockwise, just going off, spend a minute or two each, giving all final thoughts overall. Not that I think we have any uh, uh, Joker cards up our sleeves. I think we all are pretty much um, saying the right, the, the, the same things we've been saying in praise. So, without further ado, for me, this is a no-brainer. This is, you know, push all your chips in. Uh, this is one of Carpenter's classics, or one of his top films, best films. Um, it's it's praised for a reason. Um, probably the very best practical effects makeup in a sci-fi horror film I've ever seen. Uh, compliments to Rob Um The writing. The writing! Didn't even talk about this being a, a screenplay from Bill Lancaster, who went on, yeah. who, who who wrote all uh, the Bad News Bears. Yeah. So that's how he got this job. <laughs> yeah. Because you had no idea. The more you know. <laughs> you wrote the Bad News Bears. Um, this. So yeah, this is um makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's directed by Michael Ritchie, starring Walter Matthau, who I brought up at the beginning of the episode <laughs> when we talked about 1983 Survivors. 
Full circle. So, yes, I did know about the bad news, man. So, there you go. <laughs> Andrew, you can go next. Sean, you can go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm echoing a lot of the things I've said so far. My I think favorite, at this point my, we all are. But my on. favorite aspect of John Carpenter is the fact that he makes his own score. I think the score is magnificent. Um, obviously, um, the cinematography is great. Uh, the, the effects are great. When I was young and I saw this, and just still to this day when I watched it again, like about five days ago... The special effects really blow me the fuck away. Um, so, you know, John John Carpenter is magnificent, and and I'll 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 throw it out there. I I think the thing is his best film, and I understand that a lot of people say Halloween, but I think the thing is his best film. Period. So it's a bold statement. Sure, fine enough, and I'll stand by it. And I back your right to stand by because he's going to argue with you against the fog. I might take your side. Of the fog's great. I feel like the Halloween. I feel like Halloween will be everyone's, you know, number one film to go to. But no, I, I think this is better than the fog. I think this is better than Halloween. I think this is a landmark in cinema. You know, in cinema. Ghost of Mars, starring Ice Cube. Oh Jesus fucking Christ! I'm leaving. <laughs> See you all later. I don't like the Halloween movies. I, I don't. It's about hey, them. It's probably good, you know, cut me out of this whole episode. Now. <laughs> uh, Ed can't hear shit right now. I'm muting all of you guys out. Um, <laughs> Halloween one and two are a classic. It, yeah, I, I still don't like them. Hey, um, I get it. That's fine. I'm cool with it. Uh, <laughs> as, as far as movie monsters go, uh, yeah, Mike Myers is, is not boring. Yeah, yeah. Walkie um, Myers. I get it. You know. So yeah, this is. Definitely way up there with my John Carpenter movies. Um, I remember when Vampires first came out, <laughs> and I checked that out. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I like that movie. That's fun. I, I got to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since then. It's literally called Vampires. Yeah, I had fun with that movie. I got what I got out of it, what I expected to get out of it. Right. I don't know what yeah, you, you got. Got some, got some gore and... Yeah. It's exactly. I knew he had better work in his in his rear view, but I still wanted to see what he had to do. Sure. Now, as far as this movie, um, yeah, it is one of my favorite sci-fi horror movies of all time. It's one of the best sci-fi horror movies ever made. Uh, if you say Alien, or um, you know, that's up there. Uh, but this one for me, um, because the enemy is, it's essentially an invisible enemy for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, it could be the person sitting right next to you. Uh, it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Yeah. It's, it's like a whodunit, it's absolute, but it's, it's more of like a horror film. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, it's fun. I'm, all I'm going to say is this film's been with me for the better part of 40 years. It's been with me for a better part of 40 more. It's something that I'm always going to do. You know, I, 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 I always throw it on, especially in the wintertime. I don't want to get just kind of snuggled up, especially if we got a lazy hangover Sunday. I make some beef stew and I throw on John Carpenter's The Thing. Turn that all the lights and just spook out with it. And, you know. Big old Botini special effects. So. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored by J&B Scotch. 
for those moments in life, such as losing a game of chess to a computer and then accusing it of cheating or after you're done fighting for your life with someone who might be an alien himself, you might as well share that potential final moment of your life by sharing a bottle of J&B scotch. This episode is not actually sponsored by J&B Rare Blend, and J&B have no actual affiliation with this podcast. But they can give us money if they want. It's a bit, a gag, and a knee slapping joke. Please don't sue us. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval, and that will bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support the show, then please do so by following us. I'm sorry, by leaving a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever possible. It helps with the algorithm and helps us grow so more people can check us out. And while you're at it, check out our website at podpage.com where you'll find our ever-growing collection of previous episodes. And buy some merch from tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. Some new designs coming soon, including a limited design for our upcoming Halloween Horrorthon. This Monday coming up features... We're doing this Monday. We're doing this Monday. I'm so lost in time. All these playing catch up and stuff. And I'm following this guy. No, 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 no. no. This Monday, coming back because we have another special guest, returning special guest in the form of Paul Yashua, because we will be talking about John Favreau's 2014 classic. It's classic in my eyes, Chef. Oh, we're doing that one. We're doing Chef next Monday. Uh, later on this week will be our Halloween Resurrection episode, so look forward to that, or, or don't look forward to it. It's it's totally up to you. Uh, put the options out there. And yeah, next Monday is Chef, and we're just one week closer to that Halloween Horathon. And uh, yeah. So, gang, this has been a special... No, this has been another edition of the Film Effect Podcast. Um... Thanks for having me. Get, yeah, before we close out of here, uh, Ian, Andrew, thank Thanks you for again. coming on, guys. Seriously. Yeah. This was fun. Um, I had a We really always like talking shit with new shit. Definitely, you know? definitely, yeah, definitely. It was a fun time. Please come back sooner than later. Uh, Andrew, you've already yeah, been on I've, twice, three yeah, times. Well, you know, I've been on here a few times. Like, like I said, as soon as I heard probably more. On, I was immediately like, yeah, I, I want to be there, so. Right on. But, yeah. but like I said, you decided to do uh, any of the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> you were on board. Well, there's apparently nine of them, so. You were on board. Get on the yeah, fucking yeah, roll. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, hey, look, if nothing else, I do want to I, I do want to cover that cabal cut of uh, Nightbreed. You know, Nightbreed at yeah. some point uh, next year, so I'd like to have you on for that. Cause yeah, I'm a Clive Barker fan. Yeah. I've read most of his stuff and watched pretty much everything that's of his that's film, which so, I don't know uh, if you knew Candyman is Clive Barker as well. Which, yes. Which Sean doesn't realize is that Nightbreed is on the schedule for yes, next so month. Oh shit, that may be So I don't know do. why you're talking about next year because we're covering it uh, next see, month. He, he, doesn't t- he doesn't forward the schedule. I <laughs> he has out, a copy of this, by the way. I find out three to five days in advance, hey, watch this, we're recording. He actually requested it and I sent it to him. So, anyway. I don't know what I can um, do with it. It's a hell of a schedule. So, uh, and I don't know if they're in between bands and stuff is there anything you want to like shout out like are, you, are, are part of any active groups right now you want to promote uh, spread the word or are you just you know just doing your thing uh, 
I am not uh, currently involved in any groups at the time, but uh, if right. anyone wants to pay me lots of money to play bass guitar for them, I will be more than happy to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, he said, I slaps the bass for the monies. The boss. in 25 years, so I got chops. And Andrew, we know your story. You ain't promoting anything. You're just uh, here because you're I'm my brother. Here um, I'm just here, so I won't get fined. So. Until next week with Chef, or until later on this week with Halloween Resurrection, depending on which route you want to go down, Sean, do the honors. We shall see you all again next time when the theater lights go down. The opening credits begin to roll. This has been another edition of the Film Effect Podcast. For myself, Sean, Andrew, and Ian, please stay safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your day, and until next time... It has been fun, but now it is done. Check you later. Check you later. Bye. <laughs> Toodles. <laughs>